episode 108, Hotshot Scott. That's right. 108. And what's significant about 108 is that we are now in the midst of another NFL season. A little bizarre. Yeah. How did you find watching games without people in the in the stands of a football game? I told you last episode that college football has been a little tough for me for some reason. Right. This was a 10. Like, once Easy. it started, I was just in. No, no problem. <laughs> no, I didn't even think about it. I didn't, it didn't even bother me at all. No, no. no fans. No, I... I, I thought the play would be a little sloppy. It just felt like football season to me. So no issues. Not yet. No issues. Not yet. I'm, I'm good. I was loving it. Subscribe, listen, give us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. All 108 episodes are available. I'm still throwing out the offer to any of you non-patrons out there. If you don't know what that is, yep. we offer an additional set of bonus content Different shows, different segments, different instruction. We do a full show on Thursdays. We call them the peace shows. If you're a patron, you know it costs $5 a month at MitchUnfiltered.com. Just click the link. And we are offering this month and this month only, the month of September, a free month's subscription for all of you non-patrons out there who just want to experience what we're doing. Yeah. Want to test it. We're only halfway through the month, too. You got plenty no, of no, no, no. plenty of info. Well, pl- here's, plenty of content coming. Well, well, here's the thing. Not only are we only halfway through the month, but even if you were to wait until a few days before the end of the month, when you sign in and I pay for your month of uh, September, yep. that's the month, right? September? Yes, it is. Welcome. <laughs> when I pay for your month of September, you have access to all of the stuff over the last two years. Correct. That was since we started. so That's the best part. Everything's unlocked for you. I just decided a month or so ago that, hey, we're doing a lot of good stuff on the bonus content on the Patreon episodes yep. and on the other stuff that we're doing that I think a lot of people would like, and I want people to experience it if they want. So you sign up, and I send you the five bucks. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Come on in. Welcome. So very easy. Now, uh, let's get some business out of the hand. I know you have a question. I do, yes. You're itching to ask a question, a certain question. It's been a pretty cool week. Yes, I have a specific question. It's been question. a weird week yes. for me here. Uh, but before we do that, let's get some business out of the way. Okay. Week one is now in the book it's all, or books? No, it's always the books. Okay. But I don't know if week one's in the books unless the game is over. Well, at the time of this recording... We're yeah. recording in the midst of the Rams and the Cowboys. You're going to be pissed. You're going to hate me. I think I'm off to a bad start. <laughs> you're not going to like Are you but- throwing this on purpose? <laughs> I'm throwing it on purpose. Everybody who beats the boys over the course of the year gets a prize. I may not be able to afford all these prizes. I know. I know. I'm not pulling my I promised. My and uh, we asked you to pick three games. We've got a lot of participants. Did you pick the, th- you picked the three games, right? I Just don't did. forget to put, pick the. Okay. You picked the Seahawks over the Falcons? Yes. Did you pick the Saints over the Bucks? I bought into the Tom Brady bullcrap hype. I, I had the Saints. Okay, good. And who was, uh, at, at last check, as we're recording this, who was winning the Rams-Cowboys game? Well, it looks like the Rams are up by three with 13 seconds to go, but Dallas has the ball, so maybe they'll But somehow... we want Dallas to win. I have Dallas. I have Dallas, too. So uh, you're going to go one... Looks like one and two, and you're going to go two and one. <laughs> That's some contest. Let's All right. get some experts next Do you time. know that I called an audible <laughs> that last week on episode 107, I explained the rules, and that is that I was going to identify the three games, but I did announce on the patron show this past Thursday with the fish, yep. Jeff the Fisherman Aaron, uh, that we've, caught, we've changed it slightly to make it a little bit easier. Instead of me having to identify three games... We've set up a code word each week. So right. each week the code word is going to change. So you have to listen to the podcast, just the T section, because I'm about to announce the, the code word. So if you are somebody who did weeks one, maybe you, didn't even, you don't even have to have entered in week one to continue to play. 
You can enter in week two, three. You're behind. Oh, right. There's only yeah, one yeah. behind you. Uh, Thank you for you you that. Can, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you want to uh, play along, starting in week two, you're going to need a code word. And every episode of Mitch Unfiltered, I'm going to just announce the code word so that you have it. Because when you go to log in to make your week two picks, it's going to say, give me the code word or you can't get in. Everybody's right. got to have the code word. You ready for the code word? Yes, so I I, should I whisper it? I don't know. I don't know why they used to whisper is. it on that show. What I was the? Because people could hear it at home. They, right? they, they didn't want people in the audience to hear is it. Is that what know. it was? I don't know. All right. The code word is yes. the the beat the boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions, where football season is fireplace season. Sure is. The code word is for week two, just week two. Podcast. Ooh. Very original. Okay, I like it. I couldn't figure out a good word, and so I went with. <laughs> podcast now no caps or anything just it doesn't matter doesn't matter okay i'm making it easy not case sensitive as they say not case sensitive okay type in the word podcast to make your week two selections and we will have three games for you to pick in week number two so 17 weeks three games each week 51 games overall everybody who beats us over 51 each game is worth one point weighted the same everybody who beats both scott and mitch over 51 games wins a prize not pulling my weight around here but you have to have the code each week <laughs> and the code is podcast you're gonna remember it i actually wrote it down i just oh, typed it down so i okay. won't forget yes i'm in i'm ready i'm ready to rebound after a, a rough week one it's been a pretty cool week though tom brady loses Hilarious, even though I had him to win. Yeah. The Eagles lose to Washington, which just made me, it tickled me pink to watch Eagle fans just eat their own on week one. <laughs> they lost to a team without a nickname. I know. <laughs> Think about the turmoil that team's been in this year. They lose to it, but they uh, were up 17 nothing. Oh, it made me happy. Okay. Uh, let's see what else happened. Oh, what the, happened? Yeah. The Niners lost to Arizona. How about that? I joke it. We were talking. I think about- Arizona is better than everybody thinks they are. Now I didn't see any of that game, but I but I fear, especially offensively, I fear Arizona. Well, we were looking at the schedule, and you said the schedule's in the Seahawks' favor, and I said, yeah, but every year a team like Arizona will win eleven or you know, yeah. maybe this is the year. Yeah. Well, the the schedule's not in the Seahawks' favor because they play Arizona. Because all three teams in the well, I guess we, I know what you're saying. Yeah, okay. Arizona. Yeah, I, wasn't, I wasn't really using Arizona as a reason that it was in their favor. I just schedule. I threw them out as an example because yeah. I mean they don't look like a very good team just on paper. Oh, right? I think they do. Oh, really? Offensively, they have all kinds of weapons. Dying to tackle. And the guy, and the guy who's the quarterback, the Ooh. little guy who's the quarterback, <laughs> oh, he can play. I he was... can run. He can play. He can throw. He's a baseball player. Yeah. We, we've we've experienced that here in Seattle. Yeah. It should come as no surprise that that guy's pretty good. Yeah. So I was I'm loving the fact that the Cardinals beat the 40. Hilarious. Yeah. The, the yeah. Niners. So the Niners lose to Arizona. Yeah. But then on top of it all, I see on Twitter that for some reason you went out and got a brand new dog. I had no idea you were even in the market. Yes, you did. I, we've, we've talked about this. Well, you this. said you're thinking about it, but I didn't know you were like pricing them out and doing research. And it's a big decision to get a dog. Oh, my God. Now you're putting me on the spot in my house. Once Piper finds out you got a new oh, one. Oh, she's not going to find out. How would she find out? Yeah, just that's don't tell true. her. Right, I guess I just won't tell her. So you got a new dog. You must be loving it. Yeah, it's it's different. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Was, yeah. Not the it, ring it's endorsement. Actually, but... It's actually, now that you ask, it's actually something that I wanted to share with the audience because I wanted to... I, we're unfiltered, and I wanted to just kind of throw my emotions out there and see if anybody else else can can whether this resonates with anybody. They can relate or not. Well, well, well let me go back in time. So I, I'm I'm pretty sure most people would know. Maybe not. I grew up with two dogs. I have I've had two dogs in my life. That's I had a Doberman Pinscher growing up when I was like two or three. We got her. Okay. 
And I, so I don't know my youth. I don't know my childhood without our Doberman Pinscher, okay. who was like just a member of the family and the greatest dog. How old was Jasami? When she died? Yeah, like... Like 15. Oh, okay. She so lived literally in, your whole yeah, childhood from, from two yeah, to... From like three to 18. Yeah. Okay. yeah, she died when I was 18, I wow. think. All right. June 19th, 1985, I think she died. Okay. Um, and then I haven't had a dog since until we got Sadie, who uh, came along just before Brett, my youngest, was born. So okay. Max was a little toddler, and Brett wasn't born, and we got Sadie a little Havanese. And we had Sadie for 15 or 16 years. Yeah. And... After Sadie passed away in February, I wasn't, I was like where you are. Yeah. I wasn't in a position where I, I felt the need to go out and get a dog. In fact, and I think you know this or sensed it from, from coming over here from time to time. The last like six months with Sadie, just like for you guys, was really hard. Yeah. It was really hard. It was hard emotionally. It was hard spiritually. Yep. And it was just hard. And physically to hard. Yeah, to take yeah. care of her. I mean, yeah. we couldn't leave her. I mean, you know, right. yeah, she couldn't. Accidents. Accidents. And, yeah. She wasn't eating. You know, yeah. Constantly back and forth to the doctor. She lost her sight. She lost her hearing. She wouldn't go out. I mean, it was just. It's exhausting. It was really, really painful on so many levels. Yep. And I think that my wife and I were of the opinion that either we would never get another dog or it would be a while. We just need to decompress. We need to be able to go places and not worry about it. We need to enjoy the freedom without a dog. Awesome. You got that. We got right? that now, yeah. And that's the way my wife and I felt. And I think if it was just our decision, we would not have a dog today. Okay. But Not, not ruling it out in the future, just not no, today. No, we definitely yeah. would not have a dog okay. today. But our youngest son, Brett, ever since Sadie died kind of communicated to us that he's sad that he doesn't remember Sadie as a puppy or mm. in the growing up stages, the training stages, the fun stage. His memory of Sadie since she came before him and they connected unbelievably when we brought him home from the hospital. She was there. She like treated yeah. him like her own child like she was protective she'd sit in the little slide next oh. to his crib she'd growl at anybody who comes into his room she acted like he was hers gotcha and he just communicated since Sadie died that he would like to have a puppy okay and he would like to experience what he doesn't remember about Sadie in the meantime you know that Max the big brother's going off to college that's right so now Brett has the spotlight on him and he's here without the big brother, yeah. which will lead to less fisticuffs, but that's okay. <laughs> and Brett wants a puppy. Brett wants a dog. And then Brett's birthday came along in August, and my wife and I started thinking about it, and we're like, okay, even though we're not ready, this is something that he really wants. Okay. in the I'm telling you all this. I'm sorry. I'm going long. I'm telling you all this because it's going to lead to a, to a disclosure. Okay. Okay. In the meantime, the conversations that we had about getting a dog, there was no question we were going to rescue a dog. We were not going to a breeder. We were not going to pay big money for a dog. Yeah. We were going to find a dog that needed a home, and that's what we were going to do. Oh, and there was just no, it was no ifs, ands, or buts. Gotcha. I don't know whether you or our listeners are aware of this, but what happened was the pandemic hit. And as we approached his birthday in June and July and August and so forth, we started making overtures, filling out applications and Seattle Humane's closed and Texas and 
Auburn. And I mean, we just start sending. I mean, we're on online. We're looking for a puppy. Sure. We're looking for. Now, we were somewhat selective because we wanted a young dog. We didn't want an old dog. Right. A little bit in appearance, but not much. But we found something that was unbelievable. Maybe a silver lining to the COVID-19 pandemic. We couldn't get a dog. I mean, it was so really? hard. All the dogs were, they were being adopted at an unbelievable clip. And we were, That's good. we were reaching out to everyone. We were, we, we filled out so many applicants. We couldn't find, we, we, That's crazy. It, it, we're like looking at each other. <laughs> we want to rescue a dog. No one, I mean, <laughs> right. something wrong with us. So now his birthday comes late August and we're having no success rescuing a dog. So we start then to look at breeds and so forth and, at first, we were going to get a small dog because my wife grew up with cats and not dogs, and Sadie was small. Yep. I grew up with a big dog, a Doberman. And somehow, some way, we ended up at a chocolate lab. Okay. Do you know chocolate labs? Sure, they're great dogs, yeah. yeah. And before we knew it, after, again, some futile attempts, and not just that kind of a dog, with other kind of poodles and uh, all these different all these different breeds, okay. we found this dog in Stanwood, Washington. Do you know Stanwood, Washington? It's up north, I yeah, want to say. I don't know. Like Bellingham-ish, kind of? Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. sort of, yeah, yeah. sort of. And on Friday, this past Friday, we drove up to meet our, or to look at a potential next member of our family. Okay. And I got to tell you, I would have thought that it would have been, at least from my perspective, unbridled enthusiasm. You're yeah. going up to get a new dog. Well, so was there a chance you were going to come home with them, or were we just kind of window shopping at the, on that day? Well, we, we, we had seen pictures of her, okay. and we had decided, and we were going to see a different dog. We, we had another dog to go oh, see also. That'd be tough. And we were coming, we were coming, home, we were coming home with a dog right. on Friday it's night. It's the way I am when test driving cars. I've test drive test driven two cars in my yeah. life. Bottom, yeah. bottom both. <laughs> I just, the minute I test drive it, the, the okay. salesman has me. <laughs> I'm and leaving here, with a car. And, here's, and, and I know I, I've, I've taken up too much time. We're in the tease of you and everybody else who wants to hear about sports. But here's why it was kind of important for me to share my emotions. I was really taken aback by how I felt driving to get the dog. Hmm. And I don't want you to think that I wasn't, and I'm not, excited to have a new little member of our family. We have lots of love to give, and I have extra love at this time in my life, yeah. and I'm going to shower this dog with more love than it can handle. The dog's going to be cuter. Great, I mean, it's like the cutest dog cute ever. dog, yeah. and she's going to have a great life, and we're going to have a great life with her. I can't wait. But I got to tell you, it was a difficult drive, and I hmm. couldn't articulate it or put it into words. The drive up was like an hour and a half with yeah, traffic yeah. on Friday. And you think, okay, you're going to get a new dog. Right. This is, this is, everybody should, should be, be elated. Kidding. Yeah. Should, well, I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, Brett was excited. And, but, but I just had this heaviness. Hmm. The sadness. I had sadness. I don't know whether it was the sadness was because we're replacing her. Sadie, I don't know if it's about Sadie, who's just been gone for five or six months. It's sort of I, an I official was, move on. Is kind I, of, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if I was flushed with emotions over my Doberman. I don't know whether it was um, the fact that we weren't rescuing a dog. Yeah. I don't know whether it was when the, when the, when the lady introduced us to Misty, and that's her name, Misty. Okay. I'll tell you how we got that name in a second if it matters to anybody. But when she opened the door, the back door, Misty was in a little crate, and we saw Misty for the first time at eight weeks. Most adorable thing I've ever seen. Yeah. 
Misty and I guess all labs kind of had this. She was not like hyper and excited and mm. wiggling her tail. She was kind of sleepy, ah. kind of melancholy. Okay. And I started, I know this sounds crazy. I started thinking they just took her from her siblings to bring her to us. Oh, yeah. They just took her from the mother and father to give it to us. She's probably stressed out. And so that was throwing me for a loop. Is she sad right now? So I had all of these things. Yeah. And I got to tell you, the drive there and the drive back, while I was excited to meet our new little Misty, yeah. I was, it was mixed. It was really much more mixed. I was heartbroken on some level. For some reason, I can't really put my finger. Maybe it was a combination of all the things that I just mentioned. Probably could be. And it's only been six months since Sadie left. She left in February. Yeah, that's, you know, six months isn't that long ago. I remember it pretty well Right. six months ago. Right. So maybe part of you is like, you're still feeling the pain of that. And you look at this dog and like, well, I know I'll be going through that again one day. Even though it's kind of a crappy way to look at it, it's still kind of fresh, the whole, you know, having to deal with the senior dog. I don't know what the prevailing reason is i'm just telling you that take a look at her we'll introduce you to her on your way out she's adorable yeah. she's loving and everything about it but i don't know i just don't know well maybe that'll pass i hope time, so time goes along i hope so yeah um but so when you, when you got sadie though was sadie a puppy did you have to take sadie from the mom I, you know well they brought sadie from like vancouver british columbia to see us with okay. her brother so I think we did, but I don't remember feeling this way. Huh. So I think it's a Sadie thing, because but I wasn't coming off of having just lost a dog. That's right. Just, yeah. just Sammy died in 1985. Right. So I, I don't know. Huh. I don't know. It's just really, I've been flushed with emotions over it. Now she's kind of, we still have some things back from Sadie's days, some little beds and oh, toys. Right. She's She's enjoying that. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It might have been. A, a, I hope I'm not a horrible human being. I'm just telling you. I'm giving my unfiltered <laughs> opinion about the whole process. Why would you be, be a crazy. horrible human being for getting a new dog? Lots of people get no new dogs. for for just not being as excited that I oh. as I should be. Yeah, you might still day be in. two. We've had a rocky first two days. She hasn't slept particularly well. She's crying a little bit. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she's that's what they do. She's stressed. Out. I don't know. Is that what they do? Got the crate train them, and it's sad. She's, and yeah. I don't know whether she misses what she came from. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's tough. Now, how big is this dog going to get? Do we know? Big, and we don't want... We we, we (laughs) want her to stay the same size as she is I'm only laughing because I've had an 85-pounder and a 40-pounder. And let me tell you, when they they have accidents, it ain't like Sadie's accident. So, have fun, buddy. (laughs) Well, they poop Sadie. (laughs) That's exactly right. Their plutonium turds come out. Well... (laughs) It's a lab. Labs are... Labs are big. 65, 70 70 pounds. Oh, boy. That's a big dog. Yeah. (laughs) Now is this dog going to sleep in the bed? Is it or is it going to be Brett's dog and it's going to be in Brett's room? And I mean, how, are you, well, do you allow? Yeah, because well, well, she's going to ultimately. I would think she can. She'll have the run of the roost and she'll go wherever she wants to go. And if yeah. she wants to sleep in Brett's bed, she will. That's how ours were. I mean, I, I, she's not going. She's sleeping in a crate now, but yes. it's not not for long. <laughs> not for long. You know, to me, you don't have a pet and put them in a crate. I know they're too cute. Come sleep with me. Uh, they're adorable. Well, they're part of the family. They should have right. access to the house. I think technically, Wi-Fi, she's already asked for the password. Oh, good. Yeah. Right. I think technically, it's better for him to to crate train them. But we we didn't take Dante to training and all that. We just we didn't have it in us. Just come on in, buddy. Yeah. You're, you're a mess. You're yeah. not trained, but come on in. We love you. Anyway, <laughs> well, congratulations and hopefully, thank you. I hope I hope better. I can give you a a different report in a week or yeah. two or three weeks. But and I and I love and I've spent a lot of time with her and we're hanging out and playing and she's got already have a little football and the whole thing. Nice. But 
I don't know. I just got mixed emotions about that. You could be still sad. still grieving. And you, this is inter, you know, this is kind of intervening into your grieving process a bit. Maybe you just weren't ready, but you do things for your kids. I and- tell you, I think I think the part of it of taking this dog away from mm. its family is throwing me for a loop. Yeah. Maybe because this dog is sleepy and not she's not running around crazy right mm. now. Like you're not gonna go out there and see all pandemonium, but she's like sleepy, sleepy, huh. sleepy calm. Well, maybe or that'll... melancholy. You might be begging for those days again one day when that thing's running around the I'm house, sure. chewing up furniture. I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, all right. So the code for week two of Beat the Boys to Make Your Picks presented by the Fireside Home Solutions guys is podcast. Uh, episode 108, we'll have Rick Neuheisel back from CBS talk about college football. And is there any movement on the Pac-12 and the Big Ten's part yeah. to now rethink their hard stance on not playing football in the fall. I've been getting there seems to be some movement now. A lot of texts from my friends of the pack. Are they going to look stupid? You know, like are they doing the right thing? It's like people are looks freaking like the, out. Looks like the Big Ten is going to move to to try to be Maybe October in the fall. So we'll see yeah. whether the Pac-12 follows. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, as always after a Seahawks game. And Todd Zalecki is the author of a book called Doc: The Life of Roy Halladay. Oh. Do you remember Roy Halladay as a pitcher? Great pitcher for the Phillies, yeah. Do you remember what happened to him? He died in a plane crash. He did. He was the pilot, wasn't he? Was. He? Yeah. he was. He was. Good. Cy Young winner, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really a good A couple pitcher. of times over, like, Hall of Famer. Right. Like, first ballot Hall of Famer. No hitters, perfect yeah. games, great postseason. Died at the tender age of 40 after an incredible struggle with depression and opioids and so forth. Well, the writer or the author of the story is Todd Zalecki, Doc, The Life of Roy Halladay. He'll join us here also on episode 108. Okay. Very excited about this episode 108, which is impossible, of course, without our sponsors, our partners like Daniel's Broiler. Three of the four locations open, Bellevue Place, South Lake Union, Leshy, still offering $40 bottles of Vouve Clicquot Champagne, regularly $145. We were just at the Leshy location outside on the deck a few Fridays ago. Remember, Daniel's does offer delivery and pickup if you don't want to dine in. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses, the Kirkland office at Gilmore. 425-250-3150. Absolutely, you're giving away money if you don't at least consider the incredible numbers now on 30-year fixed loans in the high 2%. A few patrons contacted Jordan Flowers just this week alone. Evergreen Golf Call, major steps back on Wall Street the last couple of weeks. Maybe this is a time to step back in. You need to trust pros like Evergreen Golf Call to help make the right decisions, which will be felt by your family for years to come. CEO Tyler Hay joins us here on episode 108. EvergreenGK.com and their free newsletter. Zeke's Pizza, all 17 locations open. Extra safe precautions dining in or pizza and growlers straight to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. Very easy. Three clicks away and that mushroom Pizza is at your door quickly. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. This is episode 108, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. You almost rather him say, not only am I not signing the $220 million contract, but I have no intentions of signing here next year either. You'd almost want him as right. the owner to. The worst thing he can do is say, you know, I Be don't the want middle. the 220 million, <laughs> yeah. but I love Milwaukee uh, and I might sign here next year. You don't want that because right. then you're really stuck. Unfiltered. I can believe that a room with Jim Beheim would come up with such a stupid idea, <laughs> yeah. but I can't believe that a room that included Mike Shashevsky 
who's like the smartest guy in the world, yeah, yeah. would ever come out of a, how would you guys like to, to fill out a bracket with 354 <laughs> teams? Mitch is unfiltered. The official start of episode 108 as we sit here in the Pacific Northwest, although you want to make sure that this is a an attractive episode for Cincinnati. It'd be nice. Kansas yeah. City, I'm, look, the Midwest. Why do, you always, why do we always focus on the Midwest? Why not Vermont? <laughs> it's always St. Louis, isn't What's the problem with Vermont? What about Maine? They seem like Maine. they're nice people Banger in Maine. Banger, Maine. You ever been to Banger, Maine? Like Brent Musburger once said about Magic Johnson, this guy's smile lights up. But wait, what is it? He lights up a room from here to Banger, Maine. Yeah, yeah. That's the first time I ever heard of Banger, Maine. <laughs> from Brent Musburger. From Brent Musburger. He taught yeah. you geography at East K-State. I don't know what Banger, Maine is. Go. I don't know what that. I thought it was one city, Banger, Maine. There you go. So uh, you were back on the radio, I heard. Yes, this I past am. week. Yes, I am. Not I a was. full-time position. It was a quick little hitter like you did last year with BJ. Right. When I tell people and you're Steve back on the Migsy. radio. That's right. Yeah. Migsy. Yeah. I love Migsy, by the way. I tell him I said hello. You know Migsy? Yes. We both did morning radio for 12 years. Yeah, I did, I did radio for 25 years. I didn't know any of the other radio well, guys. When I was in my 20s, I left the house occasionally. <laughs> so I would meet people. Now, that's since changed. But in my 20s, I at least left the house okay. and met some okay, people once shit. in a while. Yes. Yeah. I was on Friday. And as we record this on Sunday, my, my regular weekly spot is going to be on Monday morning. So as we record this, I got to kick you out of the house and get right. to sleep because I got to be on this setup. At seven fifteen in the morning, That's I don't early. go in though this year. Yeah, I was wondering that. Yeah. I, I assume you sounded yeah, good gotta, though. What? You sounded good. I, I couldn't huh? tell. <laughs> I couldn't tell at first. Wait, do you see? Wait, do you hear how I sound in the next episode? Oh, much better. We got a new technology. Oh my oh, god! Oh wow, it's unbelievable. I'm trying to get our guests to hook into this episode. I mean, it's it's crazy. This this new system. Yeah. Now, newfangled system, right? The entire 2019 appearances on BJ. Yeah. You didn't mention me that I'm on the show once on this podcast. You didn't mention my but the first one out of the gate you said the word Scott on the air. I, I couldn't believe it. I did. It was a big big I'm moment sure for me. I'm sure I mentioned you in the in the night. I don't think you ever did. <laughs> it was a big moment. I got my name on morning radio in Seattle. It was it was big for me. Thank you for that. Are you telling me I went the whole... Well, maybe I was on with Jason at the time. Uh, No, Jason, no. I I came on before football. And I never mentioned you. So now I'm wondering... Did you listen to every single show that I did with BJ and Steve Miggs? I I think I might have. No. I I think I was looking for my name to get... You're lying like a sack of shit. Well, I'm very narcissistic, so I want to see if my name ever got mentioned. Never did. Not once. And how did you come up in the conversation... On I, Friday. Oh, I think you were talking. My maybe, preview of the uh, the Seahawks. I think we're talking. Maybe you were talking about beat the boys. Yeah. Maybe you were, and you said yeah. you have to beat Scott and I. Yeah. And it was just it was quick. It wasn't even hot shot. It was just. So do you want me to wink at you tomorrow Scott morning, or yeah, of course, you grab your grab ear, grab my nose. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Two, two hands. <laughs> All right, we should probably get to Seahawks oh, at some point since they, they won their first game. Bitches. All of you. I'm taking away your patron card. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Did the Seahawks win on Sunday? How'd they do? They did 25 I was worried about the game going in. Yeah, I said, because you said there's a lot of fans out there probably taking this team for granted. The yeah, Falcons. they were probably right. <laughs> I, I was one of them, but then you made me think like, well, I don't well, know. Well, I mean, now that you've seen them, I know that the Seahawks won going away and they played a good football game. But look at those guys, right? Did you watch the game? You watched the game. I did watch the game, okay. yes. Matt Ryan, any good? Yeah. Todd Gurley, any good? Yeah. Uh, Julio Jones, any good? That three receivers. Calvin had, Ridley, any uh, good? Yeah, they had 100 yards. Three that offensive line, any good? Pretty good, yeah. I mean, maybe defensively, they've got some guys like Dante Fowler, Dante Fowler Jr. They've got some uh, Deion Jones. They've got some good players on that team. Yeah. I hope that they'll turn it around. Well, 
turn it around. I only own one, but I love the coach. I got to know him a little bit. Dan. Quinn oh, Dan Quinn. Yeah. yeah. Fans so, aren't happy yeah. with Dan Quinn. Thirty-eight twenty-five. Seahawks are one and zero and lead the well tied with the Cardinals and the Rams in the NFC West. <sighs> yes. I, it looked that way. Let me just double check. It's in case. a final. It's a final. Yeah. It's a final. It's a final. It's a final. Who was that guy? Uh, Van O'Reilly. Wright. Nah, he was on CNN ES- Headline Sports. There was a guy on, on ESPN Radio for years. It was Peter Brown, another guy. Oh, yeah. Tony something, maybe. Bruno. Tony Bruno. Tony, Tony it's a Bruno. final. Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty good. Whatever. Well, you know, Peter Brown is. I know that story, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he talked. This he, could have been <laughs> give me some Peter <laughs> Unfiltered. Yeah, the he, whole thing. He bitched his way right out of a job, didn't he? God almighty. 38 points, though. That, they matched the most that they've ever scored yeah. on the road under Pete Carroll. I didn't know that. That's amazing. I, I, I did not know that. They scored 50 at Johnny. Buffalo in 2012. If you remember that game, they just killed. Well, that, that's the game that was in Toronto. That wasn't even Toronto. in Buffalo. That's right, against the Bills. It was, in the, it was inside in Toronto. Yeah. And then I think they yeah. scored 38 again against yeah. the Vikings in 15. So that was a big, good start. Pete Carroll's 2-8 and eight in his How his about how they looked openers. right out of the gate? How about the throwing? How about the throw first philosophy? How about letting? Am I going to say this? Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I think Schottenheimer's been reading the hashtag that we've all Let <laughs> Russ cook. God, I hate that. And then thing. I saw a headline that said, uh, Russ cooked the Falcons. My God, he <laughs> threw over and over. It was a pass first offense. It was exciting. There were screen passes. Everybody who's That's ever right. listened to me knows that I've been screaming and yelling for the Seahawks. The Seahawks are the only team, A, that don't run screen passes for the most part, and B, cannot stop a, a screen pass. Yeah. And so I've been I've been wanting screen passes for years. I finally got screen. They scored two touchdowns, I think, on screen. Chris passes. Carson on both of them. Both I think. of them. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. How did he look? Your boy, Chris Carson. Well, he looked different. Okay. Because they didn't really use him in a traditional Chris Carson sense. Now, yeah. did they? Yeah. They didn't really run a lot. They, didn't they pound got him. Any, They got no rhythm. They got no routine of of run. They didn't pound the football, which yeah. is good and bad. It's good, I think, for them because a, I think they're better this way. B, I think. You know, he is such a physical guy. He reminds me of Earl Campbell. You don't remember Earl Campbell. Uh, I very much remember Earl Campbell. And I know that... Don't solely the good name of Earl Campbell right now. Well, I I know that that's maybe blasphemy, Chris. Yes. But, but, you know, there are certain guys that just look for physicality like Marshawn Lynch. Yep. Okay, so Marshawn Lynch. And, man... When he got hurt last year, it, you didn't ask, you didn't look yourself in the mirror and, as a Seahawk fan and say, "God, how did how did Chris Carson get hurt?" It makes sense that he would get hurt. A, right. a human body is not is not built to take that kind of punishment for. So think about how little amount of punishment for a full game of Chris Carson he got on Sunday that's against right. the Falcons. Now that's, that's the good news that's a good call. for the Seahawks. Now the bad news for Chris Carson is he wants a new contract. I don't know how many carries he got. Six or seven or six, eight, something like that. Six carries. Okay, he's. I don't. I don't care how many balls he catches. If he wants Alvin Kamara, well, he's not going to get Alvin Kamara money or whoever it was. The guy in uh, uh, Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. He wants a new contract. That's not going to go over great. Six carries a game. He's six need carries. Yeah, for twenty-three yards. But do yeah, they? Yeah. But do they look at the screen passes? I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm sure they do. A little bit. I'm sure they do. Yeah. So. I have a question for you about the first half. They go down, they score touchdowns on the first two drives. Beautiful. I mean, just beautiful. Okay. Why did they all of a sudden try to bring in the Travis Homer era? Well, I think there's... Well, first, <laughs> Come on, you got this momentum. Well, Carlos Hyde was in there. He looks smaller and faster than I remember him, but yeah. when he was with the 49ers. But, but that third series, it, got to, it should be 21 okay. nothing. Why okay. Homer? Okay. First of all, you got to take one thing into consideration. Okay. I think this is a different year than any other year. 
This was the first game of a season yeah. where there was no preseason game, limited training camp, and I, I think there's a concern that these guys, a lot of these guys may not be ready to go like they would be typically ready to go. You don't want to kill you. You got all these guys on the roster. You might as well play. Tra- I mean, I saw Quentin Dunbar come out and they put our buddy Trey Flowers in for a few series. Yeah, he did. He played yeah. a bit, yeah. And, and I saw uh, Lano Hill in there and different guys that yeah. you wouldn't expect. I think a lot of that is probably smart. The coaching staff saying, well, let's – Let's not run everybody out there for 100 plays. They may not be physically yeah. ready for that. So I think – and you want to give other people chances. You want to give Trey Flowers a chance. I know that we don't like Trey Flowers, but you don't want to go from starting right corner to and, and then on the team the next year where you don't get a play. Yeah. Oh, yeah I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm cooler with that than I am the Travis Homer. I don't know. Stop with Travis Homer. He's a hell of a fellow. I don't know if – a regular season game is where you want to kind of cut your teeth on getting he Travis Homer some reps. He played in a playoff game. I don't know. He played in a playoff game. If, I think you're overreacting to I, I Travis, was this close so. to playing in that same playoff game at running back, <laughs> by the way. They were down to me. <laughs> God. If you're That's up 35 right, nothing, get him some reps. But oh, come on. You had this oh, momentum. I, I, did, I, just, I didn't understand that. Okay. Now, does the running game at all, Does it? are you a little worried about no, that? No, I'm not. Well, 84 yards combined. Eh, that's not very good. Well, your leading rusher, I think, was Russell Wilson. I think he was too at twenty nine or twenty eight. Yeah, leading yeah. rusher. Yeah, they won thirty eight twenty five. Okay, so different games. And will just I be could different. sit here and be very critical of the front four on defense because they didn't get a lot of pass pressure. No, I could sit here and say Jordan Brooks, where was he? He played like four plays. I could say I could say L L J Collier after that one play where the guy tried to take him down low and he jumped over and caused a. Uh, a passenger, not a passenger, a, a grounding call. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I could, I could. There's a lot of things we can ask. I mean, even when they were establishing the 14 to three lead early, the two first possessions, they gave up some sacks. He got hit a few times. I think three sacks in those first two possessions. We could talk about that. <laughs> I mean, it was not a perfect performance, but all things considered, how much do you really want to analyze this? They went after no preseason games. Not knowing where they're going to play in COVID-19 world. Yeah. They went across the country, not knowing what to experience in the hotels and everything else. They played a team that at least offensively and certain portions of the defense have some pretty good names, some pretty good football players, and they took it to them. They took it to them. And we've been asking for years and years and years for Brian Schottenheimer and, and Pete Carroll as an extension to consider letting number three win or lose the football game for you. Yeah. You're paying them $30 million a year, and every year we watch them hand the ball, hand the ball, hand the ball conservatively, suck at halftime, go out at a halftime and wonder whether he's going to pull them out in the second half, right? Right. They never give him a chance to open it up or – and. They even did that for us, and to great, great results. Yeah. Remember, they could have done that, what they did on Sunday. It could have been unsuccessful because it's the first week, and maybe he wasn't in a rhythm, and maybe his receivers weren't in a rhythm, and maybe the offensive line was. There could have been a million reasons why it didn't work out other than we shouldn't do that. You follow what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what could have happened is they could be getting ready for the Patriots – after a loss in Atlanta where Schottenheimer now says to himself and everybody else, okay, I tried it. Yeah. We threw the ball. We opened it up. And look what happened. We lost work. the game. We sucked, yeah. right? I'm going back to my – so even 
Even so, two things: a) he tried it, and Carroll tried it. They changed it; clearly changed the offensive philosophy. There was creativity. There Straight. was there yeah. was uh, some sleight of hand. Fourth there and five passes. There was fourth and five. We're going for it. That's right. I mean, a lot of people would have been crit if they didn't think about that fourth and five. Do you know what happened right after they went fourth and five for a touchdown and threw a touchdown? You know what happened on the next series, the Falcon series? Did they go for fourth as well? Yes. Fourth and two. They went for fourth down, yeah. and the Seahawks stopped them. Yeah. Yeah, was it a blowout at the end, 38-18 to 18 or whatever, and then 38-25? Yeah, but think about those two plays that were in back-to-back series. The Seahawks go for it on fourth and five and throw a bomb to DK Metcalf. Thank God he held on to the ball, <laughs> scored a touchdown with yeah. the binky, and the Falcons came back on the next possession and had fourth down, went for it, and if you just change the results of those two plays, we may have a completely yeah. different outcome. So... All things considered, you know, I have I have some shit I want to bring up. Some nitpicks? Yeah. I'll start with Ethan Posick's number. Okay. 77. Yeah. Okay. I don't want my center wearing 77. <laughs> That's your big yeah, complaint? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you, That's Jeff why Bryant? people subscribe to, to Mitch Unfiltered. <laughs> right. Okay. I think it's weird and uncomfortable, and I can't look at it anymore. <laughs> and frankly, you've had enough. <laughs> I can't. Seventy-seven is yeah. not a center's number. Now he wasn't supposed to play center, right? Well, he played a little center back at I guess it was LSU and whatever. Okay. Yeah, but he has. But not they brought played. in someone else to play center, right? Yeah, Finney, and it yeah, didn't work. Okay. It, didn't, it didn't work out. Can they change? <laughs> am I going to have to watch this all year? What do you want? Sixty-seven? Is that would that be better? Seven, when was the last time you saw a seventy-seven center? I can't think of one. It, yeah. It's just it's uncomfortable, <laughs> and frankly, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm glad that's your biggest complaint about. It's not my biggest complaint. That's just one of my complaints. All I mean, right. I mean, I, I mean, complaints. I don't know. I just thought. Look, I thought that Russell was great. I thought he was even better in the second half because if you go back and you really examine the first half, and I don't mean to take anything away from Schottenheimer and Wilson for opening up, a lot of that stuff was dink and dunk. There was a lot of nickel and dimers in the first. I mean, I think he had, I think he had at halftime like twelve or thirteen completions for like a hundred and five yards, hundred and ten, yeah. hundred fifteen yards. Okay. I thought I thought that the play calling in the second half, and he was just so good in the second half. So good, and and you know how can we do a podcast without without talking about Jamal Adams? They go out, they spend a fortune on this guy, right? When I say a fortune, draft choices. King's ransom. He comes in. What's the first thing we hear? We hear that coaches are secretly saying or quietly saying that he's better than both Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas in their prime, and we're like. What? How is that possible? Yeah. Come on, come on. Yeah. I mean, let's not let's not enter into hyperbole here. And what does he do? And he's it, got all the, the the whole world watching him, and the whole Seahawks world is watching him. Yeah. How's he going to play in his first game? How do he look? It's shocking that he somehow met my expectations because my expectations Impossible, were so right? high. Yeah. The guy was all over the freaking joint. It was weird. He was on. He was like playing with his hair on fire. He was yep. in the run game defense. He was in the nah, He didn't play a perfect game. He got He got. He got beat a couple times. Yeah. But he comes in on a sack. He comes in, pressures the quarterback. He yep. knocks guys down. He he's playing with the unbridled enthusiasm that I didn't have going to get the dog. <laughs> right. Okay. He's. He's, uh, you know, how could you have ever, could you have ever wanted or asked for more in a debut when everything was on his shoulders? He looks like the Jamal real deal. Adams game? Yeah. It was great. It was awesome. Now, here's my question about the defense, though. I, I love the secondary, but. I thought Quentin Dunbar was okay. He looked a little rusty. Well, he looks like a guy who hasn't played much. That's right. Yeah. And might have had something else on his mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. Has he had anything else on his I mind? I don't know. You have to ask yeah. him. I don't know. I don't know his personal life. But when I look at the stats and I see that Atlanta had 506 total yards, I'm trying to reckon that. Oh, come on. You, is it all garbage? Oh, you tell me it's all garbage at, passing? Well, they got, they got, yeah, the guy threw for, the guy had 280-something yards in the fourth quarter. Okay, all right. Well, it was good. soft defense. Yeah, when you're up by 20, you're up by 20 and you're playing soft defense, right. prevent defense, and you're just giving up yards, chunks. Of, yeah, oh, yeah, don't look at those numbers. Three receivers with nine catches. Huh? Four, three receivers who all had nine catches. For the Falcons? Yeah. One had 157, one had 130, one had 114 yards. Scott, you were ahead by 20 points yeah. okay. in the fourth quarter, and they're throwing every down, and you're giving up. You're saying, hey, catch Playing it. soft. And, okay, of good. Course. I mean, now I can sleep. Thank you. No, I was, I was 500. I didn't, I you're was, not going to sleep after that performance? <laughs> no, I'm going to sleep, of course. Uh, yeah. Greg Olson, the old man. Uh, yeah, he had, a, he had a touchdown. Four catches. He had a touchdown. Had a touchdown. Didn't look old, but it's only week one. Of course, he could look different in week. I'm 16. going to reserve judgment. I'm still a little. I still would love to have that seven or eight million back to spend it on Jadevian Clowney, who we all get to watch, by the way, on national TV. Monday He's going to have football. three and a half sacks, have an more sacks in one game than he had all year left. <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to reserve judgment because you said that's uh, you know the guy you I think just, of. Look, if if they were if they were playing in a sport that had no salary cap. Mm-hmm. Right. If this were the New York Yankees, oh, it'd be inexcusable. I, I'd be, I'd be fine with Greg Olson being on the team. Wait, wouldn't you be fine if there was no salary cap? No salary cap. But if you're signing, the reason I have a problem with Greg Olson is because in football, you're spending money on him that you now can't spend somewhere else. It was almost in lieu if, of. If, if, I got you. It was yeah. completely in lieu. Well, yeah. I, you know, when they did it, they would never admit to it. Right. But, but it did. At the end of the day, it may have cost them Devian Clowney. At least that is one of the contracts. And I don't know that I think, A, that they needed another tight end. B, you know, these guys that play 15 years in the NFL that are getting ready to retire, that play one more year, <laughs> yeah. how often are they ever any good? Yeah. Now, in that last year. Franco? How was Franco as a Seattle Seahawks? How was Edron James? How was Jerry Rice? Why did the Seahawks get all of those guys? <laughs> well, I'm just mentioning the ones that the Seahawks get. Patrick Ewing on the Sonics? This guy had his had one leg in the broadcast booth. He yeah. was he was retiring. And he gets thrown eight million dollars. So I, again, good good opening. I'm not gonna I'm not ragging him. I wish they had the money to to spend on a on a really good def- I think they're one defensive player away. Still. And they could have had that defensive player, whether people think he's overrated or not. Yeah. And so I, I'm still holding out judgment on Greg Olson. All right. Did you at least enjoy the ball getting snapped before 0-0 on the clock? Oh. Did you happen I'm to so notice that? I'm so glad that you brought that Thank up. Thank you. Not only did that happen, but how about they, they threw in a – they spiced it up with a little no huddle, like out of nowhere, and yeah. they caught him off. Oh, my God. I love that. Great. I look at the clock. Five, six seconds left on the play clock? Who, who are these guys? <laughs> I would interview Russell Wilson once a year on KJR or twice a year, maybe okay. once or twice a year. Always during training camp, they'd bring him and sit him next to me. Nice. Uh, and he would sit there knowing that I was going to ask <laughs> or mention one thing every single time. Yeah. And that is how much I think he's terrific in the no huddle improvisational offense when you throw everything to the wind and you just let him play play football because you're behind and you, I think he's gr- let him call plays when he's scrambling whatever. around yeah. you know someone's going to be hurry open. up yeah. and I always thought that I would be a great offensive coordinator 
And if I was ever an <laughs> offensive coordinator, yeah. which, by the way, I still – the phone – it's right here. You're open to here. it. Okay. I, I would always – I don't care what team. I don't care what my talent is. I don't care who my quarterback is. I don't care who my running – I would just toss in at weird times – a little no huddle improvisational football, just to mix it up a bit. Curveball, fastball, slider. Right. There you go. Yeah. There's just no re- and, a, and and now add to that that you've got a guy who probably in today's game is as good as anybody in that situation. Yeah. Why does it have to be two minutes left to go in a football game? You're down thirteen to watch him do that and do it well. Why not just all of a sudden? Now I know what people say. I get it. Because if it doesn't work, then the defense has to come back on the field and quickly, yeah. quickly and they're yeah. tired. You could tire out your defense. I think there's ways around that. Okay. You can do it after a three and out defensively where they do, they weren't on the field. You could do it coming out of a halftime where they had some bread. I mean, there's ways to – I just think, God, why? who made the rule that you can only run no huddle or hurry up when you're behind by two touchdowns with three minutes to go. I, I say it every time at the end of the Seahawks game last year. Why don't they do Toss that offense earlier? Every once in a blue moon. <laughs> it doesn't when they at least and and on Sunday, there were two or three plays where they just out of nowhere rushed to the line and they Great. caught they caught him off That's guard. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what'd you think about you got my text. Marquise, Marquise Blair? I was a little tough on him last year. I thought he should have at least well, been competing. He was the star of the training camp. I mean, okay. you ask Brady Henderson, who we'll have on episode 108. Maybe we should allow him to talk more about this. But he was the star of training camp. That's no great. one expected him to take the role of nickel back because he's a safety. And you think of those nickel guys. You think of maybe Trey Flowers coming in and Dunbar moving into the slot. Yeah. And that would be your, your nickel. He he took that job and, and, and wrestled it away from the kid from Oregon and and so I thought he was good. He caused a fumble on a, on a fake special uh, there's, teams. There's, there's another play that you free there. Uh, this is what I love about the NFL. And I used to do this on Monday mornings on KJR all the time. Okay. There are so many plays in an NFL game that you forget about on Monday morning when you're doing the postmortem or on the pre post game shows or on whatever. There's just so many plays yeah. that if you really think about them and you turn them around, that play right there. Yep. They have the first down on the fake punt. They've got the first down, and yeah. he knocks the ball They out. had the first down for sure. And, and those two plays I just talked about, the two fourth down plays. Imagine if you just turn just those two around, and Seattle tries the long bomb, and either Metcalf drops it or it's a bad pass. Yep. And it's incomplete, and they get the ball, and they don't score there. And then the other one, the, I, mean, I mean, games, it's funny. You know, game, even 20-point blowouts – where it ends up they score in the last play or whatever. Yeah. You you turn a couple of plays around and even a 20-point blowout could be a, a difference maker. That's why I always say when a kicker misses it at the end of the game and everyone wants to kill him, there's plenty more plays during that game than just yeah. that kick. Yeah. Right? I do have to point something out though. Okay. That I was I was really really getting worried there when Russell Wilson was throwing touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Yeah. I mean, they're scoring all kinds of points, and they're all passing touchdowns. Okay. Oh. Ah, I didn't think about that till now. And I had to wait. And they tried to give it to your buddy Travis Homer. (laughs) That didn't work out so well. My buddy, yes. (laughs) Finally, the fifth touchdown is a running touchdown. And guess what happens? 
I'm only going off. The Seahawks score a running touchdown. All I know is what I know from last year. Are we back officially? Free. Well, I'm going to be there on Tuesday. When I mean, now that you're, I mean, you got nothing. Oh, I got plenty of time. Nothing but time. Am I going to have to go through this every week trying to convince you to get your freedom? Now, I I do want to mention Taco Time is a sponsor, and I do want to mention that the, the 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 rushing touchdown thing has changed this year. Okay, they've changed it a little bit. They've done a different business model, but different business plan with the Seahawks. So instead, you know, in, in previous years, rushing touchdown, free taco, you go get free taco. Now it's kind of a buy one, get one free. Okay. All right. So in, in, instead of going and just getting a free taco. Which you gotta I can't order. believe anyone would ever do, but okay. okay. I'm here to tell you. I don't want to tell you too much. All right. Okay. There's a reason they're changing it. Gotcha. All right. Ugh. All right. Okay. Yeah. The way it works is you buy two tacos and one of them they they reimburse you for. Yeah. So you gotta right. do it on the app. You gotta do it on the Taco Time app. Okay. It is buy one, get one free, but I don't I don't wanna I don't, I want everybody to understand. All our audience is gonna do I'm gonna do it every Tuesday. If you go to a taco time and you order a taco because it's Tuesday and and Carlos Hyde scored a touchdown, whoever it was, Carlos Hyde, they're not gonna bring you two out. What you gotta do is you've got to order two and pay for it on your app, and then you get credited back for one. So you end up paying for one or two. Gotcha. Of two. Does that make sense? Totally. You got it? Yeah, I'm just surprised so people are going to buy one, get one free. Get so, one so, free touchdown. So if I, it, yes. <laughs> so, if, so if they score two, two or three rushing, t- if they score three rushing touchdowns in a game, you get three for the price of three. Three more for the price of three. Does that make sense? Oh, I see. I, okay, I didn't know. Buy thought- three, get, get three free. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought you it was do just it. one. You can, you can do it. Oh. You do it for every okay, rushing well, touchdown. Now, we're now, of course, Russell Wilson's never going to hand it off again. So <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We don't have to worry about that. So nice. this Tuesday at all Taco Time locations, thanks to Carlos Hyde's rushing touchdown, you, like me, can go to Taco Time, pay with your app, yep. Taco Time app, and when you buy two tacos, you're only going to pay for one of the tacos. Got it? Got it. Right. Now, were you oozing with Florida pride watching Freddie Swain from Ocala, Florida. I don't know. If it's that's Ocala. Right. There you go. Ocala, it's Florida. Ocala. Yeah. His first NFL catch, 17 yards, and then he recovered the fumble that Marquise Blair. Uh-uh. Not a bad day for that rookie. I'm encouraged. I liked it. I don't have any Ocala pride. <laughs> you don't? Okay. Yeah, well, because I don't, even, I don't even think I consider Ocala as part of Florida. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Is it a little Oca- south? You probably went to Ocala Vanguard High. No, it's up near Orlando. It's near Orlando. Oh, okay. I think Ocala and Orlando are nearby. It's up, it's up somewhere. It's in Alabama. It's in Georgia. You call it Alabama. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, it's Southern Alabama. Uh, and I don't know Freddie Swain, and I don't know Florida. I mean, I know. I'm happy. He caught that nice slant. Yeah. That was nice. Set up a field goal, actually. Yeah. That yeah. was a big play. There's another There's another play that no one will talk about. That's right. They they were at the point where they were going to either have to punt it or go for it. on four. No, they wouldn't have been able to go for it. It's like fourth and forever. It's like fourth and 20. Right. And he hits him on a little slant 17. like 17 yards to get him in a field goal. That's right. There you go. Hey, and guess what else happened or didn't happen? <laughs> I don't know. Guess who didn't miss a field goal? I actually thought about it. One for one, baby. When I one heard game in. <laughs> when I heard the name Jason Meyer, I flashed back to last Myers? year. Myers. Meyer. Yes, Myers. Yeah, yeah. I flashed back to last year. Everyone just being on the edge of their seat with every <laughs> kick. I was like, I forgot about this. this. Is something we have to worry about. Ugh. Oh, How did you feel the very first play of the game? Russell gets sacked for a loss of nine yards. I'm like, shit. Here we go. Here we go. Got sacked like three times in the first two possessions. I was like, here we go. He's gonna get sacked a hundred and first play times. minus nine yards. I'm like, oh, it's gonna be some season. And then they just came out and figured it out. Yep. And now we have a Sunday night clash oh. with Cam Newton. The guy that took down the Dolphins. Very disappointed with that. Yeah. I, I saw people on Twitter were, it's easy to have this kind of like Monday morning. Yeah. yeah. How could you ever let Belichick get Cam Newton? 
I mean, of course this was going to happen. He's going to be awesome for the Patriots. But were people thinking that when he was available that that he's going to just somehow be amazing again? Because he looks good, at least on, on week well, one. I think people knew that there was a chance. I mean, he is a ta- ultra-talented guy with a Former lot of MVP. experience and a lot of success. Yeah. And he was, I guess, perfect for New England. We'll see on Sunday night. We'll yeah. see. It's going to be weird watching a, an empty – I mean, it was weird watching a Falcons empty Yeah, that stadium. place rocks. How about how – about Seahawks yeah. on Sunday night oh. football with no crowd built. For, I mean, it, crazy, right? Today's like the first day where the no fan thing kind of bothered me. What what day? Uh, the day we're recording this Sunday, so probably Monday. Sunday the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because I'm like, oh, Sunday night in Seattle with the Patriots coming to town. That place would be on fire, right? I mean, it's just that stadium's just built for national TV night games. Bill Belichick coming to town. Right. No Tom Brady, but Bill Belichick coming. It's kind of a history with the Seahawks and Cam Newton a, a little, little bit, bit yeah. and it's like, oh, you mad, been... bro? Remember that game? Yeah, that was that was Tom Brady, but yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it, it would have been brilliant. Would have been so fun. So yeah, that's a bummer. All right, let's get uh, Rick Neuheisel in here. Okay, let's get uh, Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, in great. here. Neuheisel's great, and the book about Doc Holiday, Holiday, yeah. Roy Holiday, the former pitcher of the Toronto Blue Jays. Cy Young Award winner, perfect game, no hitter, Hall of Fame, died tragically when he was doing tricks in a in a in a plane. But <sighs> there was a lot more going on, a lot of drugs in his system, a lot of depression, a lot of sadness. Uh, a very interesting segment, a very interesting segment with uh, the author of that, Todd Zolecki, on episode 108. Great. It's just terrific to have Fireside Home Solutions along for the football season again on Mitch Unfiltered. John Waterstrat is the president, the owner, the grand poobah, call him what you will. John, for our listeners who don't know what Fireside Home Solutions is, just give us a rough overview on what is it that you guys do. Well, Fireside's been in business since uh, 1985, and uh, we've been providing fireplaces here in the Pacific Northwest for that time. And uh, what we like to tell people about Fireside is not only do we provide the products, but we provide the services that uh, allows you to professionally install your fireplace as well as service your fireplace. So we think those are important steps in uh, getting a great product in your home and being able to take care of it from the very first part of the sale all the way to the life of the fireplace. Yeah, and football season, as I said all year, last year with you guys football season is fireplace season but we should mention fireplaces are not the only thing that you guys do yes in the last couple years we brought on the uh, garage door category into our business Uh, seems a little bit strange that fireplaces and garage doors go together but uh, as we transform living rooms family rooms those gathering spaces in your home we also believe the uh, garage door does a lot of aesthetic appeal to your home doing a transformation on the front of your home. So again, same as the fireplaces, we provide all the way from the sales to the life of your garage door, and we service that as long as you need us to. And so people are listening right now thinking, you know what, he makes a lot of sense, Mitch makes a lot of sense, let's look into a new fireplace. Where would you have them turn first? I'd first have them go to our website at firesidehomesolutions.com. There you can find any of the convenient showrooms that uh, fit your need. You can come into our Bellevue, Kent showroom. There's others. Also, there's one in Puyallup as well. If that's not doesn't work for you and you need timing, we can come to you. So just call one of the convenient stores. An in-home person can come out and set up with you a time that works for you, and we'll do all the proposals in your home. There's no bigger Seahawks fan, by the way, than John Waterstrat. So before you go, give me the record. 
What's the Seahawks record going to be in 2020? Uh, I think they're headed to another 11-win season okay. and getting yeah. into the playoffs and making a lot more noise than last year. boy. Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. Team that was six in the country in rushing last year. Deep ball coming from Lewis behind coverage. Caught. First down at Mark Cajun's. Peter LeBlanc takes it all the way for a 78 yard score. Pressure. Book steps up. End zone shot for Davis. Avery. Fought for it. Caught it. Notre Dame touchdown. Minute and a half to go till the half. Lawrence. Corner of the end zone. Caught for a touchdown. Sooners trying to punch in on the opening drive. McGowan clear up the middle behind the center. Green Humphrey. Touchdown Oklahoma. The Sooners strike first. Episode 108 and college football season or not, and I think it's college football season, there's no one, no one I'd rather shoot the you-know-what with than uh, my friend, Coach Rick Neuheisel. It's brought to you by Taco Time Northwest, which reminds you to order ahead. The Taco Time app is great, and your favorite and most convenient location will have your order at the door waiting for you if you just order ahead on the Taco Time app. How's my friend Rick Neuheisel? How's the home studio? The last time we chatted, you sent me video, or your wife sent me video of the home studio in Phoenix, Arizona. How's that going for you? It, it is fantastic, and it served its purpose, but I find you today coming alive from New York. Oh. And uh, I have made the move now to the eastern portion of the country where I will be actually in studios for Inside College Football oh. on Tuesday. Oh. And uh, well, we, we thought we had a game this coming weekend. <laughs> it, Army and BYU were to square off in uh, Mikey Stadium there on the campus of West Point. Uh, but that game has been canceled. So I'm still waiting to hear what CBS has up the sleeve as a game to broadcast this weekend, Mitch. Okay. Five top 25 teams played uh, on Saturday or over the weekend. I was on a golf course. Did you learn, did anybody, did college football fans learn anything from those five games or any other games, Coach New? Yes, they did. Okay. They learned that Trevor Lawrence is as advertised. He was absolutely sensational in his debut against Wake Forest. And I'm going to tell you right now, the, all the scoring drives, drives, Mitch, required nine plays or more, except for the drive right before the half where they got a field goal. But they Wake Forest was a bend and don't break. They made them earn every yard they got. And yet Trevor Lawrence was, was brilliant. I think Clemson will be in some trouble if Trevor Lawrence were to get hurt. They had two really young, inexperienced quarterbacks that came in after him. They've got some seasoning still to uh, go through before they're going to be considered ready for play. But uh, I think Trevor Lawrence is is as advertised. I think uh, Iowa State is in for a long haul. They, they lost, of course, to Louisiana, uh, formerly known as Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. Billy Napier, the coach there, is going to be considered as a guy now to go from the group of five to the power five. But they uh, had a couple of kick returns, one punt, one kick return uh, for touchdowns, and they made Iowa State look slow. And I, I worry for Brock Purdy, the, the great young quarterback, who I think was 16 for 35 in that game. That was an issue. Uh, it was a bad day for the Big 12. They went 0-3 against the Sun Belt Conference. Oh, my God. Coastal Carolina took care of Kansas. 
and uh, Arkansas State also found a way to upend Kansas State. And all three of those uh, games were on the road for the Sun Belt team, and yet the Sun Belt became the fun belt on this particular Saturday. I'm having trouble, and I know a lot of people feel the same, getting fired up for college football, and it's not... It's not like the other sports, the NBA and baseball and now the NFL over the weekend on Sunday aren't in unusual situations. And yet there's something about college football and maybe it's just you're going to tell me that we've got these out-of-conference games that aren't uh, too riveting. Maybe you're going to tell me the lack of a Big Ten or a Pac-12 has impacted it. Do you do you sense from the nation just a fundamental lack of fever that we normally have for college football? The conversation has been so little on what happens between the lines. The conversation has been all about what's happening outside the lines, whether it's conferences decision to not play and the lack of transparency as to the reason why uh, or the reason the, the, the decision to play and then finding games that are being postponed, canceled or somewhere in between. Uh, we need the conversation to eventually get to the players on the field. And which is why I led with Trevor Lawrence, because he was, he was fabulous. And I hope, and I think I'm hoping sometimes against hope that uh, we can find a way to get to the finish line of this season. I think when the games get to really good on good in, in conference play, I think we're going to feel like this is fun to watch Yeah. right now. I think we're all just, you know, clapping like we do for participation trophies. We're just happy that they're playing, but we're really kind of looking forward to what we've missed for some time now, which is quality football being played. I understand that over the weekend that there was a reconvening of the powers in the Big Ten, and there have been reports that there was no vote, but the idea was that maybe they are reconsidering after all this, after watching the other conferences decide to play, after hearing from all the the family members and the parents and people flying to Chicago to protest outside of the Big Ten offices, that maybe the Big Ten powers are going to look at starting a season not too long from now. Do you know anything about this? I don't know anything about it other than what you know, which is what we read in the papers and get via Twitter and so forth. Uh, There was much ado about meetings over the weekend that were to lead to possibly another vote amongst the conference uh, presidents in the Big Ten. Listen, it was August 11th. They decided to shut it down. It's now past September 11th. We're on September 13th as you and I speak today. There is no reason they have not come out with some plan for these student athletes, whether it be a Thanksgiving reconvene, a January reconvene, or what have you, they owe it to these players to have some reason. And if in fact there is such a thing as a rapid response test, which Larry Scott came out and such support of with the the alliance with a company, I guess, out of San Diego that was going to provide that for his conference there in the PAC 12, that was going to make it all but certain that everybody on the field of play was negative COVID free. Then these guys ought to put everybody back in play and say, we're going to try and continue to kick the can, which is probably what they should have done all along. I think Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, and the Big 12 had a rough weekend, but I think the commissioner of the Big 12 said it best when he said, 
our jobs to make it possible to the best extent we can. If it becomes impossible, then it's impossible. Of course, keeping health, safety and wellness. But we're going to keep trying to see if we can get this done. That's what they've done. That's what I think both the Pac-12 and the Big Ten should do as well. And yet and yet I don't hear anything. Maybe you're going to tell me, Mitch, you just haven't been paying attention because you've been, you know, ducking golf balls from Jack Sigma all weekend. <laughs> but but I haven't heard. I keep hearing a lot of this scuttlebutt from the Big Ten. It almost feels and I and I I had I had the president, the new president of Oregon State University on a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And he said, listen, until the Pac-12 gets our arms around this potential heart defect that could come along with COVID-19, we can't play. We can't put these kids, you know, yes, you might say they get COVID-19 and they'll be fine, they're young, but we still don't know enough about this heart ailment that sometimes follows a COVID-19 positive. Have you heard anything that leads you to believe that the Pac-12 might follow whatever the Big Ten is going to do to reconsider. You spoke with F. King Alexander. Yes, I did. The learned president of uh, <laughs> of Oregon State, who, by the way, formerly was in the SEC. Yes, at LSU. And, and he was asked maybe a month and a half ago about why is there such a difference of opinion? What are what is these other conference missing? And he said reality, you know, and he's talking about myocarditis. But again, we have a lot of professional people in the medical field that are coming up with different conclusions about myocarditis and the effects that COVID-19 can have on the heart. And ultimately I understand his concerns. And if in fact they have absolute conclusive evidence that says you can't do it, then, then stick to your guns. Yeah. But there are a ton of co commissioners out there that are saying otherwise based on medical data that they have from, from learned uh, medical professionals as well that make it very difficult for the student athlete. And this is where I'm always focusing for the student athlete to, to make sense of it. I'm thinking about Justin Fields at Ohio state. I'm thinking about Keaton Slovis at, at USC. And I'm sitting there going, what are these two kids thinking about the leadership in their respective conferences when everybody else is trying to play and they can't get a straight answer. Now, to be fair to the Pac-12, there has been a straight answer. There was a 14-page leaflet produced that gave all the medical pitfalls. The Big Ten is yet to do that. In some ways, that's a good thing for the Big Ten because they don't have to walk back anything. Larry Scott already has given a answer to the 14 page uh, memorandum citing all the medical uh, issues that is rapid response testing. So if we can get rapid response testing to both of these leagues, as well as the mountain West and the Mac, then maybe just yeah. maybe we can get them back involved in the middle of October temple, the temple owls do not play until October 10th. They're from the American conference and yet they'll be con considered amongst all the teams that are going to play in the fall of 2020. If these two conferences can find a way to get underway by October 17th, I think they could be included in a college football playoff consideration. Okay. So you are terrific at projecting. You're great on this podcast. You were great on the radio show at projecting college football winners from what I recall, although I won't go in too much detail, you were great at figuring out who was going to win the college basketball tournament. 
years and years and years ago. So Much go, to my chagrin. Okay, so go put your put your projection Rick Neuheisel hat on, and now let's speculate a little. What what do you think? I mean, if if somebody came to you and said. Coach, I, I'm gonna. I want to put down a wager in Vegas on what's gonna happen with college football, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, and these teams that are at the moment sitting on the sidelines. You would say, "Here's what I think. Here's how it's gonna play out." Before I answer the question, I want to give you one more piece of information that I gleaned this last week. We had Thomas Mars, the famed NCAA waiver uh, transfer waiver attorney on our program and he's been representing Justin Fields for some time now. And he predicted not once, but twice that the big 10 would move off its position and would try. He didn't guarantee that it would actually happen, but they would try to get something going in the month of October. That's what he predicted. As I sat and thought about his, his, feelings on this matter. And there was an attorney that's got the big 10 that has to produce documents as to how they came about with their decision not to play. And so there's a disclosure, a a finding of, of all these documents and emails that's going on right now from Nebraska side of things. As I think through all this, I think the big 10 is going to at least give the opinion that they're going to try. I do not say that the big 10 will ever get there, but I do think they'll come off their position and they'll say they're going to try to get something done in this, in the month of October, but not the PAC 12. I think the PAC 12 is in a different situation. And I think given all that's going on in the PAC 12 right now with the fires and all that stuff, I think it's the last thing on their minds. Okay. Going back to the Trevor Lawrence thing, I know I'm all over the map on you, but I've been thinking about this as since like a few minutes ago when you said it, that he's as good as advertised. You know, you your implication, the way you delivered that to me was that some may have questioned that. Maybe you weren't trying to say that. I, I always thought that the guy was was considered universally superhuman and he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft and he's going to play on the, I don't know, the Jacksonville Jag. I, I thought it was a, a, a just a, a foregone conclusion that he was all world. No? I think I saw that Gardner Minshew went 19 of 20. So maybe he will <laughs> not be the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback. But what a showing by Minshew. But uh, listen, I th- I think he has everything you're looking for. Early in the season last year, he was forcing the ball. That may have been part of design because he had guys like Justin Ross and T. Higgins, and he was basically throwing it up for grabs, putting it up like three flies up, just saying, my guy's better than yours. He's going to go catch it. Uh, In the national championship game, the second half, he was average. I mean, it could have been because of, of the great tenacity of the Tiger defense. It could be a lot of things. He was average. But he's had such a brilliant offseason as being a spokesperson for the student athlete, for being a guy that has gotten away from the idea of being part of the money scene, but more about the social change, uh, the community involvement, uh, the things that I think we all would deem absolutely reasonable when we look at the list of demands from the player side of things to the the uh, college football administrations. He has been such such a brilliant spokesperson in that regard, his star could not have climbed higher. And yet as a quarterback on this particular night against Wake Forest, who I thought played really well, he was brilliant. 
The ball was where it's supposed to be. It was on time. His leadership, his smile was infectious. The guy is absolutely the first pick in the draft. Before I ask you for some picks for next week, I don't know if you're prepared for that. I see a couple of top 25 showdowns in weekend number three of college football. Oh, I'm prepared. Let me tell you, I am prepared. But don't go there yet because (laughs) I, I think I read, I'm pretty sure I read, unless it was just a dream, that Pittsburgh and Austin P played a game over the weekend and they, they decided to shorten the quarters like it was a pop war like the two coaches of two pop Warner teams got together in the middle of the field and decided yeah we're not going to play a full game where uh, did you hear this did they shorten the quarters if they didn't they should have <laughs> <laughs> it was 55 to nothing and and God love the governors uh, Austin P uh, of course was part of the first college football game played when the pandemic was hitting and we didn't know if this would ever come to pass. They played central Arkansas lost in the waning moments of that game. This was their second outing and they played obviously uh, a step up in competition and the Panthers took, took them to task. And so if they shorten the game, then by all means it was the right thing to do. But uh, Austin P in central Arkansas will always have a, uh, a very, very dear spot in my heart because of what they did in terms of finding a way to get college football played in 2020. Okay. Here we are. I'm looking at the slate. You got a lot of top 25 teams in action in terms of big games. BYU, I don't know, BYU and Army are not going to play, but you've got Miami, Miami and Louisville. That's 17 versus 18 in, a, in an ACC showdown. And there might be uh, one or two others that are uh, top 25 games. Would you like to offer us a pick or would you like to say, you know what, Mitch, I'd like to pass. I'd like to pass. No, no, no. <laughs> we're, we're never going to pass when given an opportunity to make a bold prediction. Okay. Uh, I think the game of the week right now, as I look at it, is, uh, and I don't know if you got a chance to see Louisville. You were, uh, you know, trying to harness the great one that is Jack Sigma. Louisville looked really good against uh, Western Kentucky. Miami got out of the blocks with a win over uh, UAB, the Blazers. They took, they beat them, but I don't know that they looked the part. They're going to have to look the part this week when they go to Louisville. I'm going to take Louisville over Miami and De'Eric King on Saturday night. That's a 7:30 game on ABC. I think uh, that's going to be a shooting match, but I just like this, uh, this kid, the quarterback for uh, Louisville, this Cunningham kid. I think he's special. And I think Scott Satterfield, the coach at Louisville, who was the coach of the year last year in the ACC, is on for great things. All right. Louisville over Miami. Is there uh, – is it – I mean, I don't know. What's the spread of the game? Do you even have any idea what the spread of the game is? I, I imagine that it's going to be Louisville by a small number because yep. they're the home team. Okay. But uh, but I think it's going to be a whale of a game. And I, I think anybody who tunes into it will be treated to a real – uh, barn burner. Well, I, I'm anxious to watch it. Well, I'm treated every week during the college football season by my friend who's always willing to go the extra mile. If you only heard what we went through before we started recording <laughs> this, it's going to lead to conversations between me and the wife. I, this is this is a, the the dedication that you show, Mitch Unfiltered, is it, is something. It to wasn't behold. nearly the sacrifice that was made by those on the 17th green after Sigma T off on the 18th. Oh, Jesus. He's going to hear that. Those guys doing, hearing the term hot coffee coming through. 
dance, dance, dance. <laughs> oh, dear. Ladies and gentlemen, brought to you by Taco Time Northwest and the Taco Time app. Please do yourself a favor and order ahead. Your favorite and most convenient location will have your order waiting just inside the front door. Rick Neuizel with us during the college football season. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Rick. We'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it, Mitch. Take care. There he is, our guy Rick Neuheisel. Will the Pac-12 or the Big Ten reconsider their earlier stance on COVID-19 and join the rest of the conferences, at least the rest of the big conferences, in playing football in the fall? It looks like the Big Ten might be on its way to changing its decision, but the Pac-12 has shown no interest. Great to be joined again by the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage and my friend Jordan Flowers. Jordan, tell us what's up. What's going on over there at Guild? Hey, Mitch. Great to be back on. It is incredibly busy times right now, but we are talking and serving lots of clients. It's amazing. Um, everybody that's reached out from the podcast, uh, you've got the best fan base, I think, probably alive. Ah, Nicest people you've ever met. Nice. Nice of you to say that. The, the mortgage business, not just Guild, but the mortgage business in general is very hot. What kind of numbers are we talking about in 30-year uh, in fix these days? Yeah, you're still seeing 30-year fixed rates in the upper twos on rate term refinances, uh, depending on cash out, whatever, you're still getting into the high twos, low threes in a lot of scenarios, so amazing time so if i'm if i'm looking at my 30-year fix my current 30-year fixed and i see what number it pays to at least make a phone call to you guys for five or ten minutes to see how much money i can save what's the number i'm looking for if you've got a 30-year fix rate over three and a quarter to three and a half it's worth a call to see what we could get you down to or even shortening your your term on a new refinance and the best way to reach jordan flowers and guild mortgage direct office line is 425 425- Two five zero three one four five, and cell phone four two five eight nine zero two nine five seven. You owe it to yourself to take a look. Take a look at your numbers. See if you could be saving your family money each and every month. Where would I be? Where would Mitch Unfiltered be without the great sponsors and support like the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage? Unfiltered. Wilson will dump it out for Carson here with blockers in front. Chris Carson, touchdown number two. On third down and six. Pressure off the edge. Down goes Ryan. Guess who? Jamal Adams downhill. Wilson wants it all. Deep ball. Metcalf got it. Touchdown Seattle. On fourth down. Handoff Carlos Hyde. And he hums into the end zone for a Seattle touchdown. That may be the backbreaker right there. What we've been doing in practice showed up. And uh, Russ has been extraordinary all camp. He had a great summer, as I told you guys, and, and throwing the ball to all everybody. And he had, you know, perhaps his best throwing day numbers-wise, I mean, just about you could have. Uh, defensively, you couldn't help but watch uh, Jamal Adams. I mean, he's all over the place. He had 12 or so tackles and a sack and, and uh, was close on a couple others and you know, just made some beautiful plays. 38-25, a triumphant week number one. Seems like a terrific start of the season for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson was great. Something like 31 of 35, and I think two of them were dropped balls by DK Metcalf. Jamal Adams in his debut, great. 
The defense, I suppose, good enough. Brady Henderson is the Seahawks insider for ESPN, ESPN.com. Joins us now courtesy of Taco Time and the Taco Time Northwest app. Don't forget on Tuesday, we're all going to get a free taco uh, with the purchase of another order ahead on the Taco Time Northwest app. Brady, overall assessment a win, even though no crowd there, is a win on the road. They went across the country. They come away pretty healthy. They win the game going away. I suppose you're going to give them a good mark. Yeah, I would say A minus. Uh, you know, there was a lot to like in that game. Um, it was not perfect by any means. You know, you saw, um, you know, Shaquille Griffin had a few plays that he would like back, which that's going to happen uh, when you're playing against Julio Jones. Damian Lewis had three penalties. That's going to happen when a rookie is playing in his first game without the benefit of the preseason. Uh, they gave up some yards, you know, 506 yards. I think some of that you would attribute to the fact that they jumped out to such a, uh, you know, an early lead, such a big lead uh, that Atlanta was really in catch-up mode. They were throwing the ball, and the Seahawks were, you know, conceding some of those yards, as you see teams do when they have a big lead like that. So, so much to like in this game for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson could not have been better, 31 of 35. And as you said, two of those, two of those incompletions were drops. I was very curious to see how they would use him early in games, just with all of the conversations conversation about let Russ cook and they came out throwing and they also let him cook by going for it uh, on fourth down uh, midway through the third quarter on that uh, touchdown pass to DK Metcalf. So a lot more good than bad. And I think another good thing for them uh, was no injuries. Uh, at least none that we know about. Rasheem Green left the game and then came back, and that was really the only injury that we heard about post game. So all in all, going on the road, you know, we've seen this team struggle out of the gates um, in previous seasons. So to go on the road to win by two scores and an early kickoff, I think that deserves an A minus. Go back to the less the let Russ Cook routine. Are they just tired of hearing it? Are they hearing it from you know all corners? Are they hearing it from Russell Wilson himself? Do you think he's finally, you know, for years and years and years, you got the feeling that he never squeaked over there in, in Renton? Is he squeaking now in his veteran years? I think so, yeah. And and I and I think he may have squeaked in the past. And um, for whatever reason, they, they are doing it now. And, you know, it was very noticeable. And I, I said before, you know, that is the way, that's the most realistic way that they can quote unquote, let him cook. You're probably not going to see him. Uh, you know, you're not going to see Pete Carroll turn into Andy Reid and let him throw the ball 40 times every game, but the realistic way to get more out of him is to get him involved earlier in games and don't, you know, have that uh, usual MO of having to establish the run and then not getting Wilson going until the second, third, fourth quarter. So they drop back to pass on, I believe 18 of their 25 uh, first half plays. And just to give you uh, a comparison, I think the number was in the first quarter over the last two seasons, they've only dropped back on 47% of, of their first quarter offensive plays. So uh, that gives you an idea of how much different the approach was in this game. And yeah. the result was four touchdown passes and they didn't need, you know, late magic from Wilson to, to pull a win out at the end. Uh, because they had built such a big lead early. A couple of other ramifications from that type of a game plan I want to get to in a moment. But before we get off of the Russell Wilson slash Seattle Seahawks slash Pete Carroll conversation, do you think that Russell's the type of guy, I guess we all are on some some level, is he the type of guy to look around the league and see Patrick Mahomes doing this and you know Lamar Jackson doing that and and wondering, okay, why why am I not called upon? I'm I'm making the money that those guys are making. I'm the star that those guys are, and yet my organization doesn't trust me as much as those other organizations do with those two guys. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. And I go back to, you know, a play in that loss to Baltimore last October, I believe. And remember, one of the pivotal plays of that game was John Harbaugh taking his kicking unit off the field and sending Lamar Jackson, the offense, back out there on a fourth down play that they ended up uh, either converting or scoring a touchdown on. I can't remember what it was. But, you know, I just remember thinking, you know, Russell Wilson. Yeah, I'm sure that he would love for Pete Carroll to show the same faith in him that John Harbaugh uh, showed in Lamar Jackson. And that's exactly what you saw on that fourth and five play uh, midway through the third quarter. I believe the Seahawks were up two points, so it was still a close game. They're at the 38-yard line, Atlanta's 38-yard line. So kind of in you know no man's land where sometimes you do see teams go for it because it's it's a really long field goal try if you do that and you're already you know sort of far enough to where a punt may not make a huge difference you're going to have a hard time pinning them deep and so um but that was also a fourth and five that's not like fourth and one or fourth and two or fourth and inches that's you that's yeah. a good chunk of yardage that you need yeah uh, and russell wilson rewarded that faith that Pete carroll showed in him by hitting dk metcalf for a, a long touchdown we talked about jamal adams I, I think he may have been the best player on the football field as great as Russell Wilson was, 31 of 35, as great as Julio Jones was and all the different guys, Bobby Wagner, all the different uh, Pro Bowl caliber players that were on display in that first week. Jamal Adams just, he jumped off the TV set to me. He's blitzing, he's covering, he's coming on run support. Do you think the Seahawks have to change the way, the way they call games defensively and their strategy defensively because of this this uh, incredible piece that they have now. He certainly gives them, yeah, more options. And they have not been a big blitzing defense under Pete Carroll. If you look at their blitz rate in the 10 previous seasons he's been there, they've never really been that high. And I've always thought that, uh, you know, a big part of that was because he's a defensive backs coach. That's how he cut his teeth. He's used to, you know, wanting to keep everything in front of him. And when you take a defender out of coverage, then you leave the back end of your defense exposed. But that said, They've never had a blitzer like Jamal Adams, and you just saw how effective he can be. It's like he's playing at a different speed when they send him after the quarterback. And uh, you saw the one sack. I think he was close on uh, at least one or two others, uh, was pressuring Matt Ryan, and also you know made plays um, – you know, not just in the backfield, but, uh, you know, making tackles in the open field. I think he had a 12 tackles to lead the team, two tackles for loss. So he was everywhere. And when you have him uh, and Bobby Wagner, I think when Adams was acquired, he, he said it's like a cheat code having two all pro guys like that on defense. And, right. um, you know, Wagner had a very good game himself. And, and you could definitely see what Adams was talking about there. How about the pass rush when he's not blitzing? Benson Mayoa came up. I think that was a fourth down play with a big sack late in the game or in the second half of the game. But other than that, I thought I saw LJ Collier got in there early. I didn't see a lot that would uh, ease the feelings of Seahawk fans who have questioned the front four and the depth of the front four, especially from a pass rush perspective. Yeah, that's that's one thing that that's I'm going to have to look back on, and and I'm going to look at the numbers uh, when they come out in our database of the pressure rate and uh, you know the pass rush win rate because I, I'm with you. I saw a, a few plays. I saw LJ Collier pressure Matt Ryan into a, I believe a intentional grounding penalty yeah, early. Yeah, yeah. So that was a nice win for him. You saw Benson Mayua make not only the, the sack on fourth down, he also had a, a pass breakup uh, earlier in that game. So there there were some plays, but overall. It, it did not seem like just the front four on those times when they sent the front four alone, that those guys really made a difference. And and that's look, 
Pete Carroll, like I said, not a big blitzing uh, defense under him. And I think they blitz out of necessity. And, and maybe that's, you know, some of what you saw uh, Sunday with, you know, I believe one of our uh, stat guys at ESPN said that they sent Adams on 10 blitzes. You know, you've seen games where they don't Altogether. call 10 blitzes total. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, yeah, you do wonder if part of that was, uh, out of necessity. Ideally, Adams, you know, blitzing would be a luxury for that defense, but it, it may be more of a necessity. Offensive line. A lot of people worried like myself without the preseason games that an offensive line with three or four new guys, guys moving positions, uh, could have problems early in the year because they don't have any kind of chemistry. They don't have any routine together. They gave up some early sacks of Russell Wilson in the first half, but they seem to settle down, especially from a pass protection standpoint. And the running game, it's tough to block for the running game when you're not really using the running game. Now, I'm not complaining. Please, please. <laughs> I'm not complaining. All of us wanted to throw it a lot more, but when you throw it a lot more, there's no rhythm, Brady, to the run game when you use it as little as they used it on Sunday. Not that we wouldn't want them to do it the same way all over again next week against New England. Yeah, and I wonder if you know some of the the way that they use Wilson early in the game was maybe a little bit of you know the best of both worlds. And what I mean by that is you saw them throw a ton of screen passes uh, to Chris Carson. Those were the, you know the first two touchdowns that they scored were on Chris Carson's screen passes. He had six catches, uh, I believe, uh, for like forty five yards in that game. And maybe they view passes like that as kind of an extension of the running game. It's not like you're, you know, dropping back to pass. Uh, you're not taking that deep drop. You're not really exposing Wilson to any big hits. Maybe there's a connection there to where they feel like they can have the best of both worlds and getting Russell more involved, but also not putting him in harm's way. And, you know, when, when he was sacked three times in the first half, that was my thought was you can have all the talk about letting Russ cook. And that's a great idea, but the danger is that this offensive line is, and always has been, you know, more set up to, to be run blockers than pass protectors. And it's just not built to to have Russell drop back 40 times a game. But when you're getting the ball out of his hands quickly like that, you yeah. can mitigate some of that, you know, some of that problem. The other thing you're mitigating is the kind of punishment that Chris Carson takes. He came out of that game. He's going to feel better on a Monday or a Tuesday than he ever has before because they didn't use him all that much. The flip side to that is they used him in the passing game. How about his market value? We're seeing running backs, right? Uh, especially in the last seven to 10 days, we're seeing megastar running backs now getting some contracts. Chris Carson still remains without one beyond this year. What is all this going to do for that? Yeah, that, that, that's a thought that I had too of, is this a way to, I'm, I doubt that this is the reasoning behind it, but you know, one byproduct of this is, you know, now you're seeing Carson being used the same way that some of the other top running backs are. And, you know, this has not been an offense that really throws the ball to running backs as much as other teams do is certainly as much as say a team like Carolina or a team like, um, you know, New Orleans with Alvin Kamara, two teams that paid their running backs a lot of money this off season. Um, you also just saw Dalvin cook get a big contract. And so if you go back to the 2018 draft, one of the reasons why, they drafted Rashad Penny over Nick Chubb was because they felt like Penny was the better receiver out of the backfield. Uh, and that's something that they really wanted to start doing more of. You saw them do more of that last year than they did in 2018. I believe Carson went from 24 to or 23 to, to 46 targets. So he literally doubled his, his amount of targets uh, from Schottenhammer's first year to his second, but that's still, you know, he was still among the, um, you know, I think he was like 26th in terms of where he ranked, 
uh, targets among overall running backs. So still not a huge part of their offense. I wonder if that could be a bigger part of their offense this year. And if so, uh, that could eventually, you know, in- increase Carson's value. He's still playing on the last year of his rookie deal. He's seen other guys, uh, running backs that he has put up comparable numbers to get paid big time. He's still waiting for his payday and, and maybe more catches would help him get there. Finish up with the injury situation. Anything coming out of Sunday's game? I know Dorsett didn't play, so we'll have to wait another week to see his Seahawks debut. I was surprised to see as much Elaine Hill as we saw on Sunday. Where are we from an injury perspective that you know of, Brady? Yeah, the, the only injury that uh, I think Pete Carroll mentioned post game was Rasheem Green, who left the game and then came back. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we may hear about something later, but as of right now, that's the only one we know about. And that's a uh, you know, that's another reason why this was such an encouraging game for them. Just talking to people around the NFL, there was fear going into the season that, you know, you might see more injuries this year just because you didn't have that typical ramp up that you normally do with OTAs, minicamp preseason. So uh, they've got to feel good about that. Uh, we'll see about Philip. Dorsett. He did not play because of that foot injury that's been bothering him uh, during training camp and even predated his arrival to Seattle. So uh, that could be something that they've got to deal with throughout the season. And it was bad enough for him to not play Sunday in what would have been his Seahawks debut. 38-25 and the 49ers lost. So say it now. The Seahawks have a one-game lead on the 49ers in the uh, NFC West, I do believe, but the Cardinals won. So we'll have to kind of wait and see how that all shakes out in the NFC West with New England coming to town on Sunday night. Brady Henderson of ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider, brought to you by Taco Time. We remind you, order ahead, and they'll have it ready for you inside the front door of your favorite Taco Time Northwest location. Brady, thank you. We'll talk next week. Sounds good, Mitch. Talk to you later. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider. The Seahawks are off to a great start. He'll be with us each and every week here on Mitch Unfiltered. 38-25 winners over the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. And now, a Sunday night clash. No fans at CenturyLink Field with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered, the CEO of the incredibly busy partner of ours, Evergreen Golf called Tyler Hay. Tyler, every time I turn around, I see an article in the Puget Sound Business Journal about exciting things happening at your place. What's going on over there? Yeah, Mitch, we just recently acquired a accounting firm, actually Mercer Island based. They've been in business for over 40 years. We just thought that adding an accounting piece to what we do on the wealth management side would make us kind of a one-stop shop for clients, and people like simplicity these days, so we thought it would help simplify people's lives. Did I also read, Tyler, about a fund that you guys raised to invest in local Puget Sound technology companies? Yeah, we also did that. There was uh, an article we invested in a um, in a local firm called Fuse. They're a venture capital uh, fund that invests in local tech startups, and so we created a partnership with them, and actually Bobby Widener, the Seahawks, is involved with that. And there was a pretty cool article on ESPN for your listeners who want to do some light reading. They can find it, and it's exciting. We're, we're excited to be a part of, of what they're doing. Every time I talk to Tyler Hay in person, I almost feel like I'm, I'm speaking with somebody who knows more about sports than I do. So let's get some picks from you. The NFL season is here. The NBA's postseason is revved up. I want an NBA champion and a, a Super Bowl champion. Stick your neck out for once in your life, Tyler Hay. All right. Uh, I'll go with uh, – I know I know he's not a loved guy by all, all your listeners, but I'll go with LeBron and the Lakers in the NBA. Sorry to disappoint those that are LeBron haters. And then 
I like the hometown. I like the Hawks. Oh, I think they're going to make on. a run. I know oh, it's a homer stop pick. It. No. Oh, my God. Hey, 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 Mitch, they're 18 to 1. Find me a better Super Bowl odds than that. Okay. All right. 18 to 1 on the Seahawks. And as always, we like to say the first step to learning about all the great work that happens at Evergreen Golf Call is the website, evergreengk.com, and the free newsletter, correct? That's the way to do it. Yep. We appreciate all your support too, Mitch. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager here in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Holiday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. Breaking news out of Florida, a county sheriff confirms that retired Major League Baseball pitcher Roy Halladay died in a small plane crash earlier today. The plane went down in the Gulf of Mexico just off the coast. Investigators don't know if anyone else was on the plane or where it was headed. Halladay retired in 2013 after playing 12 seasons for Toronto and Philadelphia. You know, three years before the sports world lost universally beloved Kobe Bryant in a helicopter tragedy, we were all stunned with the news of a small plane crash November 7th, 2017, off the coast of Florida, one of baseball's greatest pitchers of his era, Roy Halladay, was gone at the age of 40. His life story captivating, both triumphant and tragic. The man who wrote the book, Doc, The Life of Roy Halladay, joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. He's Todd Zolecki. Todd, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So 100 interviews... With Halliday's family and friends, managers, coaches, his wife, uh, what surprised you about Roy's story? I'm assuming there is so much that we didn't know as baseball fans, Todd, who loved watching him work every five days. Yeah, I, I think a big part of the story, and he kind of talked about it throughout his life, but you didn't really know how much he truly meant, was just the the mental struggles he he endured throughout his career. And not just as a baseball player, uh, but as but as a person, you know, he was always kind of constantly working on his mental health. He was always kind of constantly uh, going through different things. Like I said, on the field and off the field. On the field, uh, you know, he ended up kind of working through those through those things with the sports psychologist Harvey Dorfman, and and you know, Roy said numerous times throughout his career. You know, that really saved my career. It turned my life around. And, you know, at the time when you're hearing a player say that in a clubhouse, you really don't think much of it. But he was actually, you know, being literal in a sense. You know, it's, it turned his life around. It, you know, it, it saved his career. And, and the extent of how much he kind of worked, had to work on that throughout his entire life, I thought, really struck, uh, struck me. Who knew of these personal struggles Obviously, his wife knew. Did did others know? Did his friends, did his extended family know? You know, I think, yeah, I, I do think some ex- extended family knew. I think maybe some personal friends knew to some extent that, you know, he struggled with some things like Chris Carpenter, who was his close friend and teammate with the Blue Jays early in, early in their careers. You know, they would sit on a pond or a lake in Florida after a day of spring training and kind of talk about their struggles. And I I talked to Chris and he said, you know, I actually might have handled some things better than him. Not that I handled things great, but some things, you know, he kind of took to heart and, uh, and really had a tough, a tough time with. So I, I think, but again, I think 
you kind of understand maybe where Roy's struggling from from a baseball point of view. You know, I don't know if they if they really grasped, you know, how much he was struggling in the day-to-day world. First-round pick, Todd, in 1995. He debuted in 98. He was great right out of the gate. I think you said that he had a near no-hitter in like his second career start, mm-hmm. and then something happened. He, he suffered through a, a disastrous, at least on the field, a disastrous season. Talk about that period of his professional life and how it may have leaked over into his personal life. Yeah, you know, so so like like you mentioned, first-round draft pick, he almost throws a no-hitter in the second big league start, and everybody's like, wow, this guy is going to be the next Roger Clemens. He's going to be the next Pat Henkin, you know, uh, yeah. multiple Cy Young Award winner. And that 2000 season with the Blue Jays, he had a 10.64 ERA. And, and I always mention to people, like, they hear that number and go, well, that's a, that's a bad ERA. But it's actually still the single season highest, highest ERA in baseball history of any pitcher that's ever thrown 50 or more innings in a season. So you, you can make the argument that Roy Halladay, Hall of Fame pitcher Roy Halladay, had the worst season of any pitcher in baseball history. And mentally, he started to kind of spiral because – Every time he went out of the mound, every time he threw a pitch, he felt so much pressure, the need to be perfect, and he lost his confidence. He, his, his sense of self-worth uh, reflected on how he pitched that day. If he pitched well and the manager talked to him, he felt good about himself. If he pitched terribly and the manager didn't talk to him, then he felt like he wasn't uh, you know, a good person. And that kind of took a toll on him, you know, on the field and off the field. And, and that's where he, he was basically a few months away, maybe, maybe a year away from being known as Roy Halladay. Remember that first round bust from the Toronto Blue Jays? He was getting to that point when he, when he finally discovered, uh, when he finally started to change his pitching mechanics and then discovered the sports psychologist Harvey Dorfman. Yeah, he went all the way down to single A ball. You talk about the psychologist. What did he... What did he do from a mechan- – would it be interesting to any of our audience what he did from a mechanical standpoint and whether he developed some sort of a pitch to get him back in the right direction? Yeah, yeah, I think the mechanics are interesting because, uh, you know, people used to call him Iron Mike, and Iron Mike was the name of this old pitching machine. It would have this, le- this hand kind of lever kind of go straight up and then just kind of flip the ball to the batter. And that's kind of how he delivered the ball to the plate. The arm went straight over the top of his head, almost like to you know straight into the sky. Right. And what happened was, is every pitch, the hitter got an excellent look at every pitch. They could see the fastball really well. They saw it get released. It didn't really have any movement to it. So they, and then Roy could not throw his curveball for strikes. So now all of a sudden you have a guy that has a curveball, but you know he can't throw it for strikes. He's got this fastball, and man, can you really see it well? And he would just get crushed. And, and the more he got crushed, uh, the more he would kind of nibble on the corners. The more he nibbled on the corners, the more batters he walked, the more trouble he got into. And so what happened is is Mel Queen, one of the Blue Jays' longtime uh, front office coaches, player development people, basically told him one day on the bullpen mound, he said, try to throw a sidearm for me. And, and Roy was like, what? He's like, try to throw a sidearm for me. So Roy really only dropped his arm a few degrees down to the right. And all of a sudden he started throwing the ball and it started to move. His sinker had more movement. He started to throw a cutter that had more movement. Uh, he started being able just to throw the curveball towards the middle of the plate and it would break away from the right-handed batter and in on the left-handed batter. And that changed everything for him. And he started to feel more confident because of that. And then, of course, the mental side of the game came into play as well. Yeah. 
So he makes his way all the way back, and then he becomes one of the elite pitchers in all of baseball, Todd. And then in 2009, he's traded to the Phillies. All of us around the country that are sports fans know about the pressure cooker of Philadelphia and the sports community. Knowing what you do now, in retrospect, how big of a part of the of the problems of the struggles was the pressure of joining a Phillies team that had won big the last couple of years before he got there. You know, I actually I don't know if that had that much of a factor on him other than at the end of his career when he was struggling, he just felt like he was letting people down and and I'm not so sure that if that would have been in Toronto or in Tampa Bay or yeah. you know, Miami, you know, a, a fan base that is not as 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 excitable as as hardcore as Phillies fans if he wouldn't have still felt that same pressure. But, you know, cuz Roy actually pushed to come to Philadelphia uh, he, he wanted to be traded. He knew his time was running out as a pitcher. He wanted to make the postseason. And so he basically told the Blue Jays at one point, you know what, I'm going to be a free agent after the 2010 season. You could give me a billion dollars and I'm not going to resign because I need to go in the postseason. So please trade me. I, he had a full no trade clause. And he said, trade me to the Phillies or trade me to the Yankees. Those are the only two teams I'm wow. going to say yes to. Wow. And so he actually pushed to go to those two teams because – Going back to the mental side of the game, Roy was so tuned in at that point. He was so locked in. He he was literally, you know, like a tunnel vision focus for only worrying about the next pitch he was about to throw, that he could have pitched anywhere, and I don't think anything would have bothered him. And I and I really believe that that's the case. In fact, when he got to the Phillies in spring training of 2010, there was a lot of talk about replacing Cliff Lee, who got traded to the Mariners that off season. And, and Roy basically said, that's great. I'm okay with being compared to Cliff. That's what baseball is all about, right? Comparing who's the best and let's see who's the best. And mm-hmm. I think, and I think obviously Roy Alladay uh, in the end had the better career. We're talking to Todd Zolecki. He wrote the book, Doc, The Life of Roy Halladay, um, an incredible life's tale that ends obviously in tragedy. The delicate side, the drugs, did the drugs enter the picture as so many do with injuries, painkillers, and so forth, or was it before all of that? It, no, it, it was it was uh, because of injury. So it, it, in the, in Game Five of the 2011 NLDS, when he lost to his best friend Chris Carpenter uh, with the Cardinals, uh, he felt a pop in his back, the lower part of his back, and basically he was never the same pitcher again. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Roy could not do what he needed to do to be as effective as he was. He, his back would just not allow to do it anymore. He basically had a fractured back, fra- fractured vertebrae in his back. And he felt this obligation to his teammates, the organization, the fans, to be the Roy Halladay, Cy Young Award winner, you know, postseason no-hitter, perfect game Roy Halladay, that he said, you know what, I've got to find a way, I've got to find a way. He found a doctor that prescribed him pain medication. And as we know in this country, you know, the opioids are very highly addictive and can cause a lot of problems. And, and Roy Halliday, you know, as, as fine-tuned an athlete as he was, was no different. That initial prescription turned, ended up turning into an addiction, and, you know, he, he never really was able to shake it. Did anybody intervene? 
His wife intervened. Did he go to rehab? I think he. I think I saw the piece on ESPN. Did he go to rehab after he retired from the game? He went to rehab twice. The first time he went, he did not last long, and he did not last long because somebody recognized him there, and he kind of freaked out. You know, Roy is a very private person. He was worried that somebody would take a picture of him in rehab and give it to TMZ, and and he would it would embarrass his his wife and his kids and his family and his friends, and so he ended up leaving rehab. Um, he tried to work out things at home on an outpatient basis and then things continued to stay you know he continued to struggle and 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 you know he developed depression started feeling more depressed i should say and started taking antidepressants and other medications so he was taking all sorts of medications and ended up going through rehab a second time now he started to finally if you talk to his wife and you talk to um, family members they really thought he was very 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 slowly starting to get better, starting to turn a corner. You know, he was still medicated. He was still taking medications because he wasn't out of the woods yet. But um, they thought that that second trip to rehab had helped him and that eventually, if given enough time, you know, he might have been able to kind of uh, make himself healthier and whole again. Is the conclusion that he wanted to die on the day of the crash? No, I, you know what? Um, I asked Brandy that, Roy's, Roy's widow, and she, she very strongly disagrees with that. And you know what? I, I honestly do, too. Um, he had a lot of drugs in his system. He was flying erratically. The latest NTSB report came out and said that he was flying a week before he died. Uh, he flew under the Sunshine Skyway Bridge uh, that connects Pinellas County and Sarasota County in Florida. It's this huge huge bridge it, and he flew underneath it which i apparently is illegal for people that aren't familiar with that bridge it would be like somebody flying a plane underneath the golden gate bridge for instance you know i'm sure that that's highly highly illegal but he did it uh with his wife about a week before he died and so i think he was feeling confident flying recklessly and then the combination of that with the drugs that were in the system, I think it was just a bad combination that day, and maybe, maybe he didn't realize what he was doing. But I do not think I do not think it was uh, it was suicide. Todd, the four years before you leave me, uh, and terrific job on the book, and thank you for being with us. The four years, I guess it would be eight, nine, ten, and eleven, or seven, eight, nine, and ten. Those four or five years in there, arguably, I was looking at the numbers. The, the greatest, if not one of the greatest stretches by a starting pitcher in the history of the sport, correct? I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, it, it's funny. Roy, Roy won two Cy Young Awards in his career. He probably should have won two or three more the way that people look at the numbers nowadays, how the things have changed. Like, remember Felix Hernandez a few several years ago? I think he won the Cy Young with, what, like 13 wins or yep. something? He yep. was unbelievable. But people appreciated how great he was in all the other categories other than wins. Roy was kind of the same guy. But before that time, there were some seasons where he won 17, 18, 16 games where he was probably the best pitcher in baseball, but he didn't have 20 wins. So the guy that won 20 wins, give him the Cy Young Award, even though he pitched in the AL West maybe and didn't have to pitch to face the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Rays, and the Orioles every other, every other day. But I do think, I, yes, I do think that Roy, for a stretch there, he was one of the greatest pitchers, uh, had one of the greatest stretches of any pitcher ever. How's his family doing? What can you tell us about his kids and his wife? How are they doing three years later? You know, it's certainly it's a struggle. Um, they, they, I thought they've handled themselves great. Uh, last summer in Cooperstown during the Hall of Fame ceremonies, Brandy gave uh, just a really eloquent speech. And she, you know, kind of talked about some of Roy's struggles and how every human being struggles. Their oldest son, Braden, is, uh, plays baseball at Penn State. Their youngest son, Ryan, is still in high school. And, you know, certainly they, they miss their dad. But, 
you know, they're just really impressive people um, trying to make, you know, trying to kind of go on with their lives and, and live the life that I know that their dad would have wanted them to live and just trying to trying to enjoy as much as they can. And their grandfather is a central figure in this story, right? His father, Roy Halliday's father. Yeah, Roy's 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 dad. I mean, he was a he's a a, a pilot. He kind of taught Roy his love of flying, and he also introduced Roy to baseball. And he really, you know, he he worked him hard to become a baseball player, you know, set up a, set up a pitcher's mound in his basement. And Roy Roy would throw bullpen sessions and they called Colorado winners uh, just outside of Denver. And, you know, they would do workouts from the Nolan Ryan's pitching Bible. On one hand, you know, did, did Roy's dad push his son too much? I think a lot of people would say yes. On the other hand, Roy said, Hey, without my dad, I'm probably not where I am today. So it's kind of like this yin and yang here of how much was, too much or you know how much was good how much was bad doc the life of roy halliday is the name of the book todd zolecki who also covers the phillies for mlb and mlb.com todd congratulations on the book i hope it sells like hotcakes we can uh, find that book wherever books are sold online amazon of course and i wish you all the best in uh, in philadelphia or thereabouts thanks so very much thank you for the time i appreciate it the voice of Todd Zalecki, the author of the Roy Halliday book. Such a heartbreaking story. 40 years old when he lost his life after that incredible career in Major League Baseball. One of truly the best starting pitchers of his generation. Maybe the very best starting pitcher of his generation. Gone way too soon. Here we are back on the Zeke's Pizza hotline with, of all people, the president of Zeke's Pizza, my friend Dan Black. A lot of good weather, hopefully more to come here in September. Dan, how are we doing at the 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza? Uh, it's been great. The weather has been awesome, and the further that summer's got along, the busier we've got. There's been more people out and about eating on the patios, ordering beer to take on hikes with them, stuff like that. So, yeah, summer's uh has been great. And you've noticed a little bit of a difference daytime deliveries. People are getting back into the office again. Yeah, surprisingly enough, a couple of weeks ago, we started to get catering orders, which, you know, that business, we, you and I talked about it, it dropped off as COVID hit, dropped off a cliff. But the past couple of weeks, there's been fairly steady increase in orders. And so, yeah, people are starting to go back to the office a little bit. It's not a ton, but downtown's more active. Mm-hmm. Downtown Bellevue is more active. People are evidently going to the office a little bit, so that's good for us. You guys have always been known for your craft beer selection. Still sending lots of it home to people? Yeah, most popular thing we have going right now is our Crowlers, which is draft beer that you can get in a can that you can recycle. Crowlers have always been popular for us since we could start delivering those, and as they got really popular, people love draft beer, but dealing with the glasses, the growler glass can be difficult. And so being able to put it in a can where the beer can last up to three or four weeks in it, plus you can recycle it. So as those have come in, those those have become really popular. By the way, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. What's the Black family's go-to pizza pie and beer selection? I'm assuming it's not cheese pizza like my mother, right? <laughs> we like cheese pizza. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we eat enough Zeke's that we tend to focus on the specials that we have going at any given time. And uh, right now we have these great summer pies. We heirloom tomato pizzas. We found a farm out in Fall City called Steel Wheel that supplies us with these incredible tomatoes this time of year. And so we've been ordering the Mountain Baked BLT, which is uh, the heirloom tomatoes, bacon, Asiago cheese, arugula, olive oil glaze. It's super tasty, super fresh, super summery tasting. And then our go-to beers are 
are our two flagships. So we order a lot of Zeke and Destroy and a lot of Hop Tropic. And like I say, we've been doing those in Crowlers. And, you know, those are both incredible beers. So download the Zeke's Pizza app. You can order online, of course, or an old-fashioned call. What's the, what's the number to the call center again, Dan? 206-285-8646. And that'll work, you know, all over Seattle, Tacoma, basically anywhere we have a Zeke's, that number works. We got incredible call center staff that makes it super easy, especially if you have a complicated order. Most of the orders come on in electronically at this point, but the number works great. Zeke's Pizza, my partner, Zeke's Pizza Hotline, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 108, and it's the other stuff segment. You heard from Rick Neuheisel. You heard from Brady Henderson. You heard from Todd Zolecki. And now you hear from us the other stuff that's happening in the world of sports and non-sports. I'm assuming that we're going to have some some interesting, fun stories. What about two baseball share. ones to share with you out of the gate? Alec really? Mills, you a big fan of Alec Mills? I don't Mills. know who Alec Mills is. Yeah, I mean, Should I? Well, he was a walk-on in college at the University of Tennessee Martin, not to be confused with the one in Knoxville. He ended up throwing a no-hitter for the Cubs over the weekend. I think it was on Sunday. I saw he threw a no-hitter. He was a pretty cool story. Maybe worth getting on. I don't know. He was a yeah. He walked on in college. He wasn't even good enough to get a scholarship. And now he's throwing no-hitters for the Chicago. Throwing no-hitters in the major leagues. How about That's that? Right. All right. I yeah. got a quick another baseball one. Phil. Yeah. This is two. Don't don't I go? Yeah, next? but I'm I'm lumping mine together because okay. you know one A and one B. Totally. Yeah. Right. Phillies manager Joe Girardi told reporters that. Zach Wheeler, I'm familiar with pitcher yeah, Zach, Zach Wheeler. Wheeler. Yeah, Zach Wheeler, I know the name, yeah. He's not, he, not going to start against the Marlins. This happened this past weekend um, because he injured his fingernail in an accident while dressing himself on Wednesday. That's why he didn't pitch. Yeah, you know, I saw that. What? I actually saw that, but I, I think I skipped by it. What ha- I think I have it here in my notes. Oh, do you? Even Girardi yeah, said, quote, yes. you can't make this up. Philly's pitcher Zach Wheeler <laughs> misses start what? after hurting himself while putting on his pants. Right, yeah. Do you know what happened? I, I haven't seen specifics. Zipper? Do zipper problems? Is it like something about Mary? I don't know if you remember that that scene with the Franks and Beans got caught in the no, zipper. I don't know no, if it's a... All right, well, <laughs> he said he's not going to be able to pitch until Monday at the earliest. And I was thinking, what would a guy like Nolan Ryan think of this injury? <laughs> Hurts his fingernail? I mean... It, well, if it's on his pitching oh, hand, right. He'll make excuses for a fingernail injury to not be able to pitch for God's Do you know sakes. who Naomi... My turn. Do you know who Naomi Osaka is? I only Ashan? do because of this podcast, to be honest with you. What have we've, you learned about Naomi Osaka? Well, we've learned that she seems like a, just a great, mature person she for how young she is. She is my favorite tennis player in today's game. Yeah. yeah. And I love tennis. Yes. I don't follow it really like I used to follow it, but I think I think Naomi Osaka is what's good about sports. Okay. Do you remember two, the two episodes, the two incidents that make me love her more than any other male player or female player? Do you remember what happened? I remember she, Two was, things. she was very cordial to somebody who she just beat. Yes. What was that story? And she invited her over to be part of the interview. Yes, and, yeah. yes. That's, exact, that's exactly right. Okay. Uh, well, it first starts, it starts with she was the one who beat, do you remember when Serena Williams had a conniption fit about the, the guy? The documentaries have been made a few years ago. In, in the finals, the, the, she accused the guy of being um, oh, yeah. sexist yep. and you wouldn't do this with men and yeah. she was yelling and screaming. Naomi Osaka was the was the winner. Right. She was the winner. She's standing there in tears. Yeah. She's just won her first major championship, the U.S. Open, yeah. and she's kind of relegated to, to so, backup status while Serena Williams is going crazy. Yeah, having a hissy fit. Right. Yeah. And, so, and she handled that with such grace and class. 
She didn't show any kind of bitterness towards Serena, who she respected, and she just went out of her way to be just amazing. And then, I don't know if it was a year later or two years later, maybe it was just a year later, the Coco Goff thing is what you're That's right, yes. So Coco Goff was this, or is this, like 15-year-old, 14-year-old, 16-year-old American sensation from... A Florida woman. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and she stays out of trouble. She though. was she was making this run through the U.S. Open, and Naomi Osaka beat her, and it was a very unpopular win because everybody was rooting for this fourteen or fifteen year old American yeah. girl, and just the the beautiful. Go back and just watch the audio of the post match interview and the post match. Um, press remarks it was great yeah she goes out of her way to to say nice things about the parents and the upper oh my god i know this 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 girl whoever raised this naomi osaka <laughs> that's right I, I have two boys i'm gonna send them over. <laughs> that's right they can learn i a have not something. done <laughs> i haven't done one one hundredth of the job that her parents did she is just as classy as any professional athlete that there is in sports right so i root for her and she won the u.s open her second u.s open. There you go. Good for her. Congratulations yeah, to her. That's unfiltered for you. That was my unfiltered opinion. Daniel House. Am I, is it Daniel or Danwell? It's spelled kind of weird for the Rockets. Yeah, it's, I think it's Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. Yeah. Officially, he got in trouble for going out of the... Did he go out of the bubble No, or he did not. Did he bring somebody into the bubble? He tried. Oh, not the not the girl from the Seahawks. Not the guy... No, the, it's not her. Same girl. Did he dress her up as It was Rockets actually here? kind of a smart move because he invited one of the people who's there to, 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 to uh, administer COVID tests. Okay. So she's already in the bubble. And he's like, eh, what does it matter? She's... But that's against the rules. He got booted. He got booted out of the bubble. They're in the playoffs. He got kicked out. And then they end up losing to the Lakers. Okay. But, I mean, it's like, dude, you got one more game. Like, two, maybe three more games if you guys win. You really yeah. want to risk it at this point? Yeah. He gets booted. And then his team. he was actually playing pretty well. He was averaging 11 points and six rebounds in the playoffs. You weren't this hard on the Seahawks training camp guy who lost his job because he brought no, – I was trying to sneak a woman into the hotel. No, I wasn't, I wasn't hard on him at all just because I felt like – he needs the job. I was rooting for him to catch on. And this guy's in the playoffs. It's three to one. Your team needs you. You can't wait three more games. Two running backs. Sign big contracts. Yeah, that rhymes. <laughs> Is that your new Alvin rap song? Ka- and, and, I, and I only bring this up. It's not really that important. Alvin Kamara got like 75 million new money from the New Orleans Saints. And Dalvin Cook got like 65 million. I only bring it up. I, I just find it interesting because... We were going through this stage, and I guess we still are, where running backs are being devalued. And running backs are having trouble getting huge contracts. Weren't, they, weren't teams kind of platooning two that were maybe platooning not... Platooning two, not yeah. using the running back, not paying them, letting... Like Todd Gurley, letting running backs, yeah. you know, go, leave and whatever. So this is kind of a different, a different type of thing. And it also brings, you know, Chris Carson into the mix. You know about my love for Chris Carson. Right. He's also of that same class of Kamara and Dalvin Cook. Now, they were high-level draft choices, and I think Carson was picked in the last round of the draft. So he's next up, and I hope he can get a nice deal. I guess it'll depend somewhat on how the Seahawks use him right. over the next 15 games. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was interesting that finally some running backs are getting paid. And I thought the same thing about Shaq Griffin. His, his deal's coming up, right? And uh, Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, he's going to get a lot of money. Is he really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From the Seahawks or from somebody? Oh, I don't know. I don't okay. know how that's going to work. Yeah, Probably the either. Seahawks. He's going to get a lot of money. Shaq Griffin? Shaq Griffin. Clearly the fourth best DB on the Seahawks is going to get paid in okay, full. Okay, hold on a second. How is he? Oh, he's the, clearly the fourth best? Well, first of all, Dunbar you don't, will be First better. of all, you don't compare corners and safeties. Safeties are safeties, corners right. are corners. Second of all, I think some would argue that 
Quentin Dunbar has still a long ways to go, at least in Seattle, to prove that he's better than Shaq Griffin. All right. I think Shaq Griffin is a solid corner. I don't think he's a special corner. I think he's a solid corner. He's coming off of a pretty good year. But it's, you know what? Solid corners get a lot. Of, they're like left-handed pitchers. Solid huh. corners in the NFL get paid. big money. He's going to get big money somewhere, somehow. He didn't have a great first game. Not a bad one, it but all it, right. it wasn't it was, great. It, you know, what was Shaq Griffin-like? Yeah, I guess that's, that's I guess what that's he true. is. Yeah. But he's going to get a lot of money. Wow. Yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah. All right, you want to hear... Tell s- Piper to start playing corner. Brush up on her corner <laughs> skills. <laughs> all right, I'm going to teach her to throw okay. left-handed as well. Yeah. All right, Julia... Adelsek, a citizen of Slovenia, hatched a plan with her boyfriend to collect on some big fat insurance policies. They took out, they took out on her. All in all, they got five policies totaling more than a million dollars, and they were ready to collect on these. Now, how do you think they went about it? Well, to get the loot, they cut off her hand with a circular saw and then filed a claim. Presumably, some sort of disability claim or something without her hand. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant plan, right? Yeah. Uh, the insurance policies would have paid her half up front and the balance in monthly installments. So she's thinking, I'm going to get half a million dollars with one hand and then I'll get the rest in monthly installments. I can live with one hand. I got money in the Come bank. On. What do I what, what do I need both hands Come for? On. <laughs> the thing is, she got busted and the 22-year-old woman was sentenced to two years in prison with one hand. Right. Uh, the boyfriend got three years. Pretty bold plan, but also a pretty stupid plan. Any... Uh any parting thoughts on that? I got what? Do you have any more stories? No, I, got, I, I, I got one final one about an 18-year-old boy. I was going to bring up the Oklahoma quarterback, but I won't do that. Why not? Yeah, it's not that important. Really? Yeah, this uh, Oklahoma quarterback, he's like a redshirt freshman. He his first ever quarterbacking start. He had like the greatest first quarter by a debut freshman in the history of college. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. But now I'm interested. I got to hear yeah, the numbers. Yeah, he threw for like 200. He, threw, he missed one pass. He threw for like really? four touchdowns in the first quarter and like Jeez. 299 yards. I'm making that up, but it's pretty close. Pretty close. I don't have the stats in front of me. You you, you finish it up. You ready? Yep. An 18-year-old man in Thailand is going to think long enough. Florida man. It's supposed to start well, with Florida man. I looked. I looked. <laughs> but it, I, I think this one beats it. Okay. Uh, next time he uh, uses the restroom and has to sit on the can after a four-foot-long snake chomped into his weenus that came up through the pipes and clamped onto the end of it. I'm never going to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> Sirafop <laughs> Masakari. Okay, this is not true. Oh, he's from Thailand. He, he this went, is so not true. He went through the ordeal last week at a town outside he Bangkok. He was sitting? He was probably going... He was standing? No, he was sitting on it. So he couldn't see what was beneath him. And it, oh right. It's like your nightmare. I mean, you're, you know, your bits are hanging down. Like any, okay, okay. Right. <laughs> not that. He, was, he says he suddenly felt tremendous pain uh, oh, as the non-ven- <laughs> non-venomous python clamped on. Uh, oh, nightmare. Oh, Just God. absolute nightmare, right? Never going to the bathroom I know, again. ever. The, the shower. You got to use the shower from no. now on. Uh, not shockingly, he jumped up and ran for his life with his pants around his ankles, and luckily the snake let go, but it left a serious bloody mess. Blood was squirting everywhere. Oh, jeez. The young man said as soon as the snake let go, blood sprayed everywhere. His mom tried to calm him until paramedics arrived and took yeah. him to a hospital. He needed three stitches on the tip. Uh, here, you, you get the picture. All right. This is the kind of story. Hold on, let, me, let me just let me warm up. Right. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. All right. You know, this is really the kind of story you can sink your teeth into. <laughs> Next time this guy wants to snake a toilet, he should probably just call Lowe's. Do you, do you know what that tool is? The snake. Oh, okay. Uh, the good news is, based on all the blood that came out, this guy doesn't need Viagra. <laughs> And uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this story or not, since uh, the joke should be low-hanging fruit. There you go. Be careful, everyone.
careful when you're sitting down there. I've actually had that thought because I've heard stories of this happening before. Not not the bite, but just snakes do find their way in and they crawl up. And I, I, yeah, I know. It's the worst thing ever. Awful. Happened to me once. <laughs> well, you are from Florida, so I can see it happening. Florida, man. Alligator <laughs> comes through the place. <laughs> That's right. Uh, episode 108. I'm good. Good to go. Yep. Uh, beat the boys. Beat the boys. Get your three picks in for week two. Code word. Podcast. Podcast. Good for the Seahawks. Seahawks Patriots and weekend number two, right? Here we go. Some more college football. All right. All right. All right. Let's do it. Episode 108 is in the books.